0: What's going on, everybody? Welcome to yet another episode of the Fred Hampton Inn & Suites. We hope you're enjoying your stay. Hope you had a good week. How's everyone' week been? Hopefully good. much been good. A lot, of, a lot of busyness going on. The world doesn't stop turning. The world doesn't stop burning, but uh, we'll be here either way. I'll be here either way, shit. Turn it and burnin', baby. Just turn it and burnin'. Yeah, well welcome, welcome everybody. I know uh, lately there's been a lot of changes to the app. Uh, some people's apps have stopped working, including my own. I'm a, I'm an Android boy myself and it took me a while to get it to work. Uh, I had to re-download it, uninstall it and uh, reinstall it. Uh, just like anyone in any IT department would teach you how to do. Uh, but we're back and uh, happy to be back again Uh, Like I said, hope everyone's doing good. Uh, It's been a a wild week, plenty of news to go over, plenty of things to talk about. Uh, And a couple of them I want to talk about now, before we get into the pep talk. Uh, Today's episode is really just about, it's a lot less about prepared material and a lot more about uh, where do you find hope? (laughs) Where do you find the, the willingness to continue to uh keep being interested in politics to keep believing that uh, maybe something can change or where do you go when you believe that something you don't believe something can change uh how do you actually find the uh, uh the spirit to do something uh and a belief that something else is possible so we'll get into that a little bit it's a little more loosey-goosey today but uh Before we do that, I have to introduce you to one of my new favorite people ever. Um, (laughs) I don't know why this story gives me so much joy, but I don't know if you've heard of the Lieutenant Governor of uh, Tennessee here, a guy named Randy McNally. Um, If anyone's heard of Randy McNally, if you haven't, then you're in for a treat. Randy McNally, as I said, is a Lieutenant Governor of Tennessee, and he's a very thirsty boy. (laughs) He is a very thirsty boy. So Randy McNally uh, follows this guy on Instagram who is just uh, some of the biggest twink bait you can find out there. Just the, he is a, you know, like a 10 out of 10 twink. Absolutely, you know, like he's got the abs, he's super, he's got that small, look to him and shit he's exactly what like if you if you were to type in like uh the ideal twink into the dictionary his picture would pop up this this person that he follows is on Instagram and Randy McNally follows this guy and has been leaving some very thirsty and supportive comments and it's really the only one that he's following um <laughs> you know this this lieutenant governor Randy McNally is not following a whole bunch of different twinks on instagram that we know of but he was basically being very very horny on maine and it's kind of put him into the spotlight and i kind of love him <laughs> i really kind of love him he's got this he's just old old white guy with this red ass face his face is so goddamn red like he's constantly constipated or something or like he almost looks like a tomato with a mustache and I don't mean that in a, in a mean. I mean he's he's a he's exactly what you're picturing if you're picturing a like a heavyset red uh, older white guy. But just his his response to this, I mean, some of his comments to to the guy on Instagram were very supportive. You know, they were saying things like "Thank you so much, you brighten up my day," while looking at a pic of a guy with you know basically half his cock out. It's just kind of awesome. I just I don't know why I like this so much, but I have to play some of this interview with Randy McNally for you. So please let me know if you can hear it. I I think I love this guy. I really do. Just listen to, listen to his response now that he's been uh, uh now that this has become a major story.
1: What comes out of this?
2: Well, I think they'll be a lot more careful about using social media.
1: Amid a sudden uproar over his provocative social media interactions, Tennessee Lieutenant Governor Randy McNally sits down this afternoon to answer Phil Williams' questions about the controversy. Good evening, everyone. I'm Rory Johnston. Carries off tonight. Now, those social media interactions with a young gay model brought accusations of hypocrisy against the East Tennessee Republican and countercharges that he's become the victim of a left-wing attack. <laughs> well, our chief investigative reporter, Phil Williams, has covered McNally for more than 30 years. And he has the exclusive details with the man who says his posts reflect his evolving views on the LGBTQ community.
0: First of all, that's kind of beautiful. Number one, his evolving views on the LGBT community. Go off, fam. Like, go ahead. Go be horny, fam. Go do it, my dude. Like, for real. For real. Like, no joke. No shade at all. Like, go off. You're just discovering your sexuality and you're like, I don't know, 70 and you look like, go off, please go off. Um, But also, I just love also how there's there's accusations of a left wing conspiracy to turn this guy gay and to make him be horny on Maine. Very funny. Extremely funny. Um, Anyway, I really want you to hear the rest of his response. This is, again, Lieutenant Governor Randy McNally in this interview.
2: Initially, I was not very kind to that community. As I learned some things and met some people in that community, I realized that they're still individuals and they still have value.
1: In a legislative session dominated by bills outlawing drag shows in public places and targeting gender care for the trans community, Tennessee Lieutenant Governor Randy McNally finds himself facing accusations of hypocrisy. After a progressive site unearthed his social media interactions with a twenty year old game model, among them provocative posts that were liked by the seventy nine year old Republican, including one where the young man doesn't appear to be wearing clothes. When people see these posts, what should they take away from
2: them? Well, I don't know that they should take away a
1: a whole lot. In an exclusive interview, McNally described how he befriended the young man first on Facebook, then on Instagram. Among the posts, this close-up of the young man's backside, McNally responded with three red hearts and three on fire emojis, along with a comment, Finn, you can turn a rainy day into rainbows and sunshine.
2: It's just that, you know, I, I uh, you know, try to encourage people with posts and try to um you know help them uh if i
1: can were you trying to help this young man in some sort of way
2: uh just basically trying to encourage him
1: there was also this place
0: (laughs) i love him i love him please keep encouraging him fam please I, I love him. This is one of my favorite stories. I'm sorry. Uh it's not the most hard hitting news out there, but god damn, if the is the world still not funny? Like it it's pretty awesome. Um god damn, I could play that all day. But that's Lieutenant Governor uh, uh Randy, Randy McNally, which that name is perfect. Uh it's absolutely perfect. And then Lysol, I don't know if you wanted to 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 call in, okay. Uh, So, Lysol, we'll go ahead and take your call first, but then I'm going to go into uh, what you all came here for today, which is hope. (laughs) So, Lysol, what's going on? Welcome back. Uh, Lysol, uh, you're still muted, so go ahead and unmute yourself, and then you can can speak. Uh, Nothing yet. Yeah, Lysol, I know the app's been having some problems for some people, um, usually either logging out and logging back in or uh, uh, reinstalling the app. So uninstalling it and then reinstalling it can help it. But I'll, I'll just wait for uh, until you can do that, and then you can uh, call back in whenever you're ready. Uh, okay. So, cool. So... Uh, well let's get to the, the purpose for today's show. So there's, I guess the thing that kind of inspired me to want to talk about this today is how there seem to be a lot of uh, sort of repetitive comments that I hear a lot coming from mostly people on the left as of late. Um, mostly they have to do with a pattern of acknowledging and seeing how bad a lot of our situation seems to be, a lot of the situation of a lot of people around the world seems to be, and sort of a, uh, an accompanying sort of, uh, hopelessness, which comes with that. So leftists are typically pretty good at identifying problems. Uh, Anyone who has any sort of Marxist background or has read basically any kind of critical theory or uh, anyone engaged in like a dialectical process is going to be pretty good at calling out the contradictions of a society that's that's or calling out problems generally uh, because you have the analytical framework to do so. Uh, One thing that I really do appreciate about Karl Marx's work in particular is how analytical it is how much it depends on uh you know hegelian dialectics on examining the full sort of views of a specific topic and figuring out what the most accurate representation or what the most accurate truth is from that sort of contradictory uh from that taking of opposing viewpoints and, and finding truth. So leftists uh, tend to be pretty good at that. Uh, what, I, what I've what i been noticing, though, and I'm sure you've noticed this, whether it's either online, uh, whether it's uh, in some of these calling rooms or wherever, is we usually get to a couple of questions, which kind of show that a lot of people on the left tend to be kind of hopeless or not very uh, excited about our prospects Uh, typically there's a question of well what do we do or how can i help how can we help what can we do and there aren't too many people who give pretty solid answers with that Uh, and I, I do want to talk about that a bit, just to talk about some of the actual solutions we can have. But uh, the other thing that I hear a lot is basically what amounts to an action, right? What basically uh, amounts to the system is unchangeable, or it's too difficult to change, or the people who are trying to change it currently are not good enough, something uh, critiques along those lines. And I'll give you an example of where this is coming up a lot now. Um, I'm not on Twitter anymore, just because I was spending too much time just scrolling on Twitter. But I do know that there have been a lot of uh sort of leftist infighting over the candidacy of uh, Marianne Williamson. I'm pretty sure it's Williamson, Marianne Williams or Marianne Williamson. I, I uh, but I, you know, we're all familiar with her, I, I imagine. But for those of you who don't know, May, Marianne Williamson ran uh, for president in the last election. This would be 2020. Uh, she was on the debate stages. She ran as a Democrat. She is a uh, sort of an affiliate. She's kind of a self help guru, is how she's been described. But she's more than that. She, she, um, she was uh, affiliated with Oprah for some time, I think, in Oprah's book club. She's an, an author who's published a lot of books on self-help. And she tends to think of things more as like uh, from spiritual terms. But but in some ways, she she's definitely more progressive than Biden on a lot of issues. Um, she seems to be more supportive of things like universal health care. She seems to be more supportive of, of uh you know even things like the question of reparations but uh, she's not uh, i don't mean this to be an endorsement of her as a candidate uh, but she, or or you know like an uh i'm not trying to detract from her as a candidate either but she's got some some flaws especially when it comes to foreign policy um Right. She she supports the ongoing war in Ukraine. Those efforts thinks that Russia needs to somehow uh, be defeated or uh, whatever, you know, that that Ukraine troops need to continue to be supported uh, monetarily and perhaps otherwise. She's in favor of a two state solution in Israel, which is, uh, you know. There are a lot of people who are much more educated on that topic who can tell you why that is not great, why that's not really a a viable solution, mainly that, um, you know, the Palestinian people would be in a a worse negotiating position, they would not be able to uh, have access to their own lands, Uh, whoever would be determining what the two states would be, would be uh, heavily sort of, uh, uh, it, it would be pretty imbalanced, right? If you have the United States and Israel who are the power, uh, the powers who are determining which states are which, well, then what's to say that I don't just basically create a Palestinian state where it's all just the worst lands and uh, the worst area uh, in the same way that we've kind of done in the United States with, with um, Indian reservations, right? But I see a lot of people going after Marianne very hard and going after her supporters very hard. And there's, there's a tendency for people to either say that, well, this is a shitty candidate and we shouldn't support her. And this proves that the system is rigged. Um, Or there are people who are saying basically that, I mean, that's, that's basically what a lot of leftists are saying, to be honest, is that, uh, she's not a good candidate, which, you know, I actually tend, if I'm showing my cards, I don't I don't think she's the one. I'll say that. I There are a lot better people I think we could run. But then you get into these conversations of, well, electoral politics are a wash anyways. Electoral politics are a waste of time. They are not going to change anything. Your situation will never change by voting for different people. So why are you even bothering? And then you get into a situation where people ask, okay, well, If electoral politics are not gonna change anything, then what can you actually do? And then people don't have solutions. And I think that in conjunction with seeing how people who are obviously incompetent and obviously corrupt keep on climbing the reins of power in this country over and over again, it kind of makes people feel a little down uh, and feel like, what's the point in trying? Uh, If you were to look at who the president is and to look at what the Democrats have as far as who are they going to run next time around, well, Joe Biden again, right? A guy who's going to be 86 by the end of his second term, assuming he makes it there. A guy who chose his vice president based primarily not on her actual abilities or ideology, but on her status as a black woman, uh, an identity politics that was based entirely in, in cynical reasons to to garner votes without any deeper examination of what the voters and the voting base wanted. And that, it, it's hard to figure out, like, how the fuck are those the people running the most powerful country in the world? How, are, how the fuck are those the people making the decisions for people like you and me who depend or rely on, on are supposed to be able to rely on a government to basically protect us from the, the greatest ills of our system. And it's, it's pretty inarguable, I think right now to say that corporate, uh, capture of our institutions and, 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 uh, a pay-to-win politics are some of the greatest ills of our system right now, um, that most of the policies being made in this country are done directly to benefit a, an elite group of people, and not even really the elite group of people, but the corporations and the the, the entities that they, they work for. Uh, and, you know, there are millions of examples that we can kind of look to 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 confirm this um you know the latest example would be the the bailout of the silicon valley bank and the uh i, I forget the name of the other bank that's involved here too it's i think it also starts with an s but uh, when we compare that to what's happening in east palestine right now right uh, you have train derailments that happen in east palestine a town of people is is exposed to hazardous chemicals, and and the cleanup is sort of botched. The testing uh, may have been corrupted. It was conducted in, initially by Norfolk Southern, the 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 tra- train company. Um, it was the train company paid for the initial tests and chose which uh, entity was going to do the initial chemical tests. Right, uh, you have people whose lives have been greatly affected by this derailment in east palestine and the amount of inaction there has been uh really troubling to watch and then you see these banks that uh are immediately bailed out over the weekend and honestly i mean i don't know how much to get into this but the bailout—I don't want to lawyer this too much—but the bailout is slightly different. It, it is different in kind than the bailout that was happening in uh, 2008, for example, because it was not a bailout. Uh, North uh, or it, it was a bailout, but not—it was different. Actually, North North is actually 100 percent correct. Uh, the bailout was not of the the bank executives themselves, which is separate from that. That's different from the the bailout that happened in 2008 when the bank executives and the banks themselves were directly bailed out and allowed to continue to function. If I understand everything that's going on with these bailouts correctly, it was basically a bailout to cover the money for the depositors, not for the bank executives and not for the bank uh, shareholders themselves. The banks, as I understand, are going to continue to not function. They're going to be defunct. Uh, All the shareholders are going to lose 100% of their money. Uh, whatever they had invested in that bank, it's gone. Uh, and the executives are, you know, to the extent that they were selling stocks or anything beforehand, probably going to be brought up on charges. So it's different than the 2008 bailout because the bailout is only happening for the depositors in particular, right? But that being said, I understand when people look at that and say, well, why can't we get a response like that whenever we're the people who are the ones in need of help. Why can't East Palestine get a response like that? Why can't Jackson, Mississippi get a response like that? Why can't Flint, Michigan get a response like that? Um, And that critique is valid. Uh, And, you know, most of the depositors at Silicon Valley Bank too are, I mean, it's a place made for tech startups and, and, and to cater to that world, right? So a lot of people who are banked there are businesses, a lot of them, small businesses who didn't do anything wrong by depositing their money into a bank. If I'm just being fair, right. It's not wrong to just deposit your money into a bank. That's supposed to be the responsible thing to keep your money safe. Um, So it's not their fault in particular, but I understand that it's frustrating to see how our system works so quickly for them. And so, so, uh, doesn't seem to work at all for us. So with all that being said, you know, especially when you factor in things like global warming and, and, you know, like, 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 like uh, just, just the kind of shit where mindless sort of consumption and production are, are literally destroying our long-term health, the long-term health of our planet, the viability of our species, the viability of all species. And then when you add in stuff like, um, you know, this, this, the increasing sort of connection that we're seeing between, uh, depression and loneliness and the continued sort of consumption state that's being created under a capitalism that does nothing but, uh, incentivize us and, 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 and wants us to be consumers. Uh, a capitalism that is uh, constantly just sort of uh, creating symptoms and then managing our systems with more consumerism without any actual investment in our humanity or our our, our, our goodwill or, you know, like our, our well-being, our true well-being. And then you add on, you know, how most of the people are now living isolated and lonely and the lack of relationships and the lack of everything and the lack of a meaningful community. And the fact that, uh, you know, a lot of people are finding the closest thing they have to community here on something like Colin, you know, and, and there are a lot of reasons not to have hope. Uh, but I, I think the trick is here with this pep talk part, right? Cause right now I'm just telling you, I'm trying to take you down to the dumps first before, before we start building you up again. Right. It's (laughs) because none of this would make you hopeful. None of what I'm saying so far would make anyone hopeful, but I, the trick really is. And I saw someone mention in the chat earlier, but the trick is that, you know, for the pep talk portion, at least in the, what do you do? How do you not give up? I do think the idea of hope is actually kind of irrelevant here. And what we really need is before we discuss the actual solutions and everything, the first step is to make the choice that you are going to fight despite the fact that it may be hopeless. And this brings us to the myth of Sisyphus. The myth of Sisyphus by... uh, a guy named Albert Camus. And this is one of my favorite things probably ever. Uh, It's a philosophical essay by Albert Camus, who was a, uh, I I don't know, 1920s or 50s. He was a French philosopher. And he wrote an essay that I... I attribute pretty heavily to helping me uh, determine that I was going to fight depression and that I was going to make the choice to continue living because I am not immune from any of the feelings of hopelessness. Uh, I struggled with depression for a very long time. And I think think you probably... I I don't know. I'm pretty fucking happy now, I'm not gonna lie, but, but like, I mean, I've, I've had a couple bouts and, you know, one pretty serious, uh, you know, let's just call it what it is, suicide attempt, which I think, I don't know, it, it, it factors, the reason I'm saying that is because if you don't think that there is a, a purpose if you don't think there's a a a uh, if you just lose yourself in the hopelessness of it all then you can uh you know the question comes up as well what is the point why am i here why even live if it's just pain and suffering and 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 heartache and that's where albert camus comes in and albert camus again has this this Uh, essay, I'd call it, called The Myth of Sisyphus. And in that essay, Albert Camus says that there's really only one real philosophical question. And that philosophical question is, is suicide. Why does one commit suicide? And why doesn't one commit suicide, right? And Albert Camus basically goes through this whole question and examines it very closely and talks about the inevitability of death, the inevitability of, of all things coming to an end, how despite anyone's best efforts, things will eventually just stop. And it's not for any fault of any one person, it's just, that's how it goes. Even if you do everything right on earth, even if, you know, Everyone did everything right on Earth. Eventually, you you even get the heat death of the universe, right? Eventually, all of this will end. And that knowledge, that sort of absurd reality, is enough to drive a person into despair. And Albert Camus says that there are really two ways that people handle this, this desperation. Well, three. The first is they find religion. They find God. And not that God saves these people in being a real being or whatever, right? We don't even have to get into the idea of like whether or not there is a God, yada, yada, yada. But you find basically what amounts to a convenient uh, either fiction or story some kind of convenient belief in a higher power that defeats death. That says, hey, if you do good on this earth, then you won't die and you'll live forever. And that defeats the absurdity of it, right? That defeats the absurdity of your life here. Um, So if you believe in a god in the afterlife, then you start to think, well, my life is not absurd, because no matter what happens here, I'm working towards the next life. But Albert Camus says that, well, this is, this is kind of a dangerous place to be. It's a dangerous belief to have, mainly because, one, it's, you, you kind of have to fool yourself into believing in this thing, even if it's completely true. You're basing your life based on a what amounts to either a very convenient truth or a very convenient fiction. This this idea that's outside of yourself. So you're not really confronting death. You're not confronting it. You're not being honest about it. So that's the one way how people, you know, acknowledge the absurdity of life is They reject it by saying, hey, I found God. The other solution, or not really a solution, but the other way people confront it, Albert Camus says, is through suicide. Which, you know, Albert Camus understands why someone would do that. But in a way, it's also, it's kind of giving in and giving up and i don't mean that to say, you know, i i i don't want to i don't think anyone who commits suicide is really like giving up or giving in, you know? i don't i don't like to think of it like that. but they are ending things, you know? they are they're saying that the pain of life is is they want to be done with it. but camus offers a third choice. And that is to acknowledge the absurdity of life, acknowledge the the fact that nothing else would... That choice of deciding to do the same shit over and over and over and over again and to keep going, that makes the choice meaningful. Because suddenly you're kind of throwing a big fuck you to the absurdity of it all it is kind of punk rock right it is it's it, it is acknowledging that what you do will potentially well well you have no you know like control over in the end you could control what you're doing but like the absurdity of what you're doing how eventually it will all end and choosing to do it anyways is the mark of I don't know, it's just fucking badass. It's just badass. It's just fucking sick, dude. It's just it's it's and, and he brings up this idea of Sisyphus. Right? Now Sisyphus was a king in uh I think Greek mythology. I I don't know if they did it in the in Roman mythology once they stole all that good shit from the Greeks, because the Greeks had that, you know, top tier anime shit going on in their uh mythology. And uh You know, once once one person has a tournament arc, every anime has a tournament arc, baby. So that's just how that's how the Romans were doing it. But Sisyphus was a king who had uh, was supposed to die at some point and and did, you know, long story short, tricked death a couple of times to escape death before it finally got him. Right. So death finally got Sisyphus and to punish Sisyphus for his trickery. Uh, because, you know, the Greek gods had all kinds of fucked up shit, fucked up punishments for people after they died, right? Uh, Depending on what they did. Uh, The death made Sisyphus roll a boulder up a mountain every day. At the start of every day, uh, Sisyphus would have to start rolling a fucking boulder up a mountain all the way. And all he had to do was just get it to the very top of the mountain, to the peak. If he could just get it to the peak of the mountain, he would be free. Or he would at least, I don't know, his task would be done. He'd be done for the day. Um, But the trick was that the boulder would always, no matter how much Sisyphus rolled and no matter how hard he tried, it would always, 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 always get almost to the peak of the mountain and then roll all the way down and Sisyphus would have to start over again. And that task of constantly rolling that boulder up a hill only to watch it roll down again and then to have to roll the boulder up the hill again, that is to Albert Camus, that's very much like what we do with life every day. We do these same, a lot of the times, repetitive tasks, even if we're not engaged in any activism or anything like that, right? If we're not trying to do anything more meaningful, even just the slog of going to work every day and getting up, waking up at the same time, going on a bus or a train, and then getting to the office or getting to the the station or wherever it is that you work or whatever you do, uh, getting into your car to start driving as an Uber and then go pick up people, drop them off pick up people, drop them off, pick up people, drop them off while listening to the same shit, same radio stations or the same podcasts, and the same everything. You're you're rolling a boulder up a hill every fucking day. And the, the wild thing is that that can be completely distressing, especially in a system where your connections are being severed where your the powers that be treat you more like a commodity and a consumer than they do like a human being especially in a system where you're you're lonely you're having a problem finding meaningful relationships with other people you feel you know alone that's hard but to acknowledge how hard it is and to acknowledge how like that act of punishment becomes an act of rebellion. It is absolutely rebellious to choose to continue fighting even when you have, even when it's doing nothing, <laughs> even when you know where it's gonna end either way. And when I say it's doing nothing, it's not doing anything. It. It's, it's, that's, that's that's the trick, it's, it's not not doing nothing, it's doing something. But when you know where it's going to end, but choosing to fight anyway, that is some, like, that's some fucking Spider-Man shit. Right? That is some... Um, trying to think of, like, the best, like, I don't know, there's got to be some kind of anime character or something like that. I'd say it's Goku, but, like, no, it's... Goku just was dumb and wants to fight, okay? But, <laughs> you know, like, the the choice of continuing to get up and not give up. God, I know there's an anime with it. I, the only one that's coming to mind is Yu Yu Hakusho, but that's just because I'm a huge Yu Yu Hakusho weeb. So it, I, I, you know, and I'm just thinking Kuwabara in my head, like just getting up and, you know, just fucking spirit sorting it on. But choosing to roll your rock up the hill every day, day—that's that's the meaningful choice. And that's the choice that Albert Camus says, which really allows you to be free. That's the one that breaks you from the, the same sort of bullshit that you would be doing every day. The same, it, it is the one thing that while here on this earth gives life meaning. Acknowledging that your life could have no meaning and choosing to continue to fight in that life anyway, that is a meaningful choice. That's a meaningful choice. And it's that possibility that suddenly, by continuing to roll up the hill, that rock up the hill every day, you start to realize, oh shit, I'm getting pretty strong. (laughs) <laughs> it's the thing that can make things start to change is your refusal to quit. And I love how how Albert Camus he has this line in 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 this writing that I really like. But he talks about Sisyphus. He talks about him continuing to roll the rock up the hill. And I'm just gonna read this this part. The essay, it concludes, basically, that the struggle itself, right? The struggle of life, the struggle itself is enough to fill one's heart and how one must imagine Sisyphus happy. It's weird to think about, but, you know, there have been very few writings in my life which have had a profound impact on me. like A super, super profound impact. And I think the idea that I'm basically saying, like, fuck you, I'm going to live anyway, (laughs) is probably the thing that's been the most impactful. So how do we loop this in again to to more politics? Uh, Imagine what you could do with a lot of motherfuckers rolling rocks up hills. You have to believe, or you have to first, before you even think of the chance of success, You have to first make the choice to roll the rock up the hill. You roll the rock up the hill regardless of the chance of success. It doesn't matter. The success does not matter. That is not the point of it. The point is to choose to roll the rock up the hill first. So even if people are telling you, oh, well, I don't think we can beat this government. You know, we talked about last week when we were reading capitalist realism. Is it Capitalist realism. Um, we talked about how, you know, it's easier to imagine the end of the world than is to imagine the end of capitalism. Look, that makes you very... Uh, that may be true right? That may be true. But the, the, whether or not you actually choose to engage in a struggle for something greater is not about whether or not it's supposed to succeed. It's about whether or not you're going to choose to do it, whether or not you're going to choose to do it because you think it's right, because you think people actually deserve to have better lives because you deserve to have a better life. If that's the case, then uh, the chances of success are immaterial. They don't fucking matter. The first thing to do is to roll the rock up the hill. And there's a quote I like from, uh, from like Joey Diaz, uh, who's like a comedian, but, and I'm going to butcher it, but he says, you know, you don't need, Two hundred motherfuckers to to chafe. You don't need three hundred people to change the world. Just give me three motherfuckers. Give me three motherfuckers, and I'll show you what we can do. And I believe that one of the psychological barriers the left needs to get over is that defeatist attitude that nothing can change, that they're in the depths of despair. Because we've all seen, we all recognize that we're rolling a rock up a hill. I think on the left, in particular. Um, and it's not just the left. It's really, it, it's, it, I'm, I'm, I'm even going to stop saying the left because it's anybody who is not like benefiting from this system knows they're getting fucked. Okay. People who are Trump voters understand this. A lot of them understand this on a, on a, on a wide scale, uh, or, you know, by a wide margin, they understand this. They see how corporate capture and and elites have been uh, really destroying their lives. And they feel powerless to change anything, right? But the the powerlessness to change it is, uh, I think an illusion. It's an illusion. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You first decide to roll the rock up the hill. And you do that because that's that's what you do. Because you're choosing to do it. And if you can choose to do something that could uh, potentially, you know, be... If you can choose to keep doing something even while acknowledging that maybe change never comes, I guarantee fucking to you change is going to come. I guarantee it if you and three motherfuckers are out there rolling it. So long story short, uh, and we'll talk about more actual solutions coming and why there are other reasons to actually be pumped up right now uh, besides the fact that we're getting better at organizing labor. We're, I mean, look, let, let me just keep it buck. Most of us were very different politically before 2016 came along. That's not that long. That's not that long ago. I mean, that's, it's been less than 10 years. And some of the conversations that are at least in the lexicon now are completely different than where they were when it was just Neolib all the way. Neocon, Neolib shit all the way, right? We've, there's been change. Many of us who were p- politically activated at that time, or politically sort of uh, awakened at that time are just now coming into adulthood really or adult adulthood right like I'm 34 we're not that old and even those of us who are old er it's like so what you know it's 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 this idea though of of us not being where we're supposed to be or where we need to be even if we're not where we need to be, it doesn't matter. The The question's not, are we there yet? It's, are we choosing to roll the rock up the hill or not? Because if you could face impossible odds and continue to say, fuck you, and continue to roll the rock up the hill, you could do anything. You could change the world. You could do any goddamn thing. Which is why... I pride myself on being able to get my ass beat and just keep getting up. I don't give a shit. I do not care. Like it's, 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 you keep getting up. God, I know there's an anime character who does this in particular. He's just really good at getting his ass beat. I know. I just can't remember who it is. God. Well, Samantha, if you know, (laughs) let me know. (laughs) Weebs in the chat, please give me, give me your, uh, your, uh, your, uh, input. And, uh, we're going to go ahead and take some callers, but, uh, yeah, just, it doesn't matter whether or not it's impossible. It matters whether or not we choose to do it. So that's step one. And then another episode, I'm going to, I have a bunch of other stuff that I'm working on when it comes to what stuff you can be doing right now. But big ones are, I mean, uh, I've already done, uh, a couple episodes and I'm putting out a YouTube video now about how to organize labor. So again, how do you form unions? That's a big one. That's honestly a big one is forming and empowering unions because you need to start a collective effort. Um, that's one of the only things that we have that can go against uh, power structures, right? Uh, or at least corporate power structures directly and a negotiating table. That's a big thing. And uh, we need more radical people in unions as well. Uh, so that they're less likely to be captured ideologically. Uh, other big things are honestly, I know people don't want to hear this one, but locally creating uh, either joining groups like and I know people don't like the DSA here or whatever, but I'm sorry in Chicago, they're doing pretty good. I I do accept the critiques. And I'm very aware of the critiques. And I agree with many of them when it comes to the national level. I think they're losing some focus big time there when they're still trying to continue to, uh, you know, bolster people like Jamal Bowman at this point or AOC. That being said, Chicago's doing all right, man. I'm telling you that's it's, it's getting, they're building something here. Um, but they're not the only one. Socialist Alternative is another really good group. Uh, they're really good, actually. Uh, I know a lot of people love Kashama Sawant uh, for, for good reasons. But uh, also, you personally actually getting involved in running, in joining things like school boards and the like, that matters too. I'm, I'm like, I know all this shit is like no one wants to, everyone wants to pick up, you know, bricks and guns and go do that there might be a time for if there's another january 6th hey let's see let's see if we can create something but at this point uh i don't know if that's the most viable strategy but there are things that we can do okay there are definitely things that we can do so and i have an episode too where i'm going to be focusing a lot more of these episodes too on basically what can you do because i i i I was talking to my friend, and he's like, look, uh, there's plenty of bitching on the internet about shit. And there's very little, like, constructive, constructively telling people what they can do to get involved, to fix it, to harness that energy. And I agree. But it's hard to research and figure those things out, too. So I'm trying to get a lot more guests who could talk about that. I'm trying to get a lot more... Um, uh, People who can practically give more of that information out there too, but the first thing is make the decision to keep rolling the rock up the hill. Okay, make that decision. All right, cool. BK, what's going on?
3: Hey, <clears throat> um, I agree with everything you said. <laughs> uh, Yay! <laughs> and yeah, yeah it, it also it doesn't matter because no one person could ever possibly know into the future that whatever they're doing is going to be the tipping point. Like you just have to do what's, you know, keep pulling the ball forward, as you said. Um, Yeah. But uh, also like we, we've talked about uh, on your show, like, but how no one has a sense of like capitalism has robbed us of a sense of purpose and a sense of feeling like, we have a ball to roll up, you know, like it's almost right. worse than what he was, you know, this purgatory he was sent to is what we live in under capitalism, which is like, we don't get to feel useful. We don't get to feel appreciated. And there's, a you know, huge lack of like love and playfulness in our lives because of that also. And uh, that's, it's also like an opportunity that they'll left you know like uh, a lot of people on Colin talk about how like the black panthers like provided all this stuff to people and it wasn't just a political party it was like a uh, community organizing and, and like i i don't believe in the disease model of addiction anymore but I, when i look back at like my 12 um, or like 13 years of experience in narcotics anonymous like it was a like really, like bottom up more so than AA. Like the service structure is like entirely democratic and bottom up, and therefore it changes very slow. But like, also it's an altruistic movement that's existed for like fifty years. I mean more really. Right. And uh, and and the most like when I think about like what I can do like to like put push the ball up. Like the biggest thing that I learned from being part of like that altruistic movement is that the most important person at the meeting is the greeter. And uh, so, like, the most important thing for, like, me to work on is my social skills. And, uh, like, it, like I could, like, if you know, if you, if you memorize marks, that's not as important as just being nice.
0: Right. Um, right. Because, it, it, like, it, it, yeah.
3: yeah,
0: go ahead. Yeah. No, yeah, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I, I think, I mean, part of the reason, too, that I think people get turned off from, the memorized marks types are that they, uh, I do think there's a tendency for people to sort of memorize something or like people want to show their value or their sense of identity, especially in an individualist culture, like, like what we have here, which is based on so heavily what's advertised to us and what's, what's, what's kind of, uh, put into our brains from a very early age is that you know you have to be an individual and what's your thing what's your passion what's your this uh so there are a lot of people who when they start to memorize Marx, they can sort of think that that's their thing and then it becomes like a form of competition almost like oh you haven't even read Marx, i'm reading Marx, and i he says this 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 and this and people start to think that like their expression of it of individuality is more important than the message of Marx's work to begin with, which is, you know, like uh it's basically like don't don't be a dick like a gatekeeping dick is basically uh what I'm trying to say here.
3: Yeah. And like the I think that what got us focused on like like back when I was, you know, in NA and I was like <clears throat> I, I, you know, I was like very involved in like serv- you know, like being of service at meetings, and then on like the higher service structure level, I was like involved in that for years, and it was because I believed that I was saving lives, and like on some level, like I, you know, I, I mean, I'm I'm not into it anymore, but like, I,
0: into like, what uh, AA?
3: Right. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. I don't I, I don't believe in like the disease model, and um, but but like what it offered, like the service structure, like. Like, that could be repeated where it's, like, we meet here once a week and, like, we just care about each other. And the only desire to be right. here is that, like, you just want to, like, work on yourself and be nice to and we'll be nice to each other. And, like, no one here tells anyone what to do. It's just that we're, like, we believe in, like, a higher cause. And as part of that higher cause, we believe in these principles, like, being nice to each other <laughs> and being open-minded right. and hearing each right. other
0: out. Right. Um, yeah. 100%.
3: So, yeah, like, I, I do think there is, like, room for, like, ideas and organizations no one's even thought of yet, um, and I even want, like, everyone's very, like, hyper-focused on, uh, you know, like, getting workers to, and I don't, like, I'm, I'm, I don't want to get in anyone's way of that, I mean, I totally believe in, like, unionizing, and, like, I'll, I'll, I'll do door knocking for a candidate that believes in, to, you know what I mean, like, I'm, I'm not getting in anyone's way of that, but I also wonder if there's a lot of opportunity to radicalize people who aren't working class who are disabled or can't work because they have a family member who's disabled and they just see capitalism not working out for them for that reason, not specifically because they're being exploited in the way that Marx talks about. And also there's a lot of people who are like upper class who are like, like lonely and kind of see it not work, you know, like they get poisoned too. Like there's this, there's a, documentary about how like the kardashians got involved with uh this nuclear waste thing because they were be- their neighborhood was being affected by the nuclear waste uh, yeah so um like capitalism's not working out for anyone and uh
0: yeah i i uh, mean i think I think one of the things on that last point too that I really want to emphasize here for i don't know anyone listening to this is that Capitalism is anti-humanity. Eventually, at a certain point, when it's profits over everything, uh, your humanity is always secondary to the generation of profits. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean that eventually capitalism really does eat itself. It destroys itself. Now, it, it, it gets weird because, like, you know, the, the – the there's a reason – put it this way. There's a reason that corporations in the service of, like, um, shareholder maximization, maximization of profit, the, the reason why you see so many companies continue to do, like, asshole shit, especially the bigger they get, to start doing inhumane shit is because the structure of capitalism itself creates – in some inhumane and perverse incentives, which eventually lead to uh, damaging even the people who are the shareholders of the corporations which are doing the anti-human kind of behavior. I'll give. I mean, uh, the best example of that is something like um, you know climate change. Climate change is literally corporations who are generating short-term profits to the detriment of literally everybody on earth when you think about it they they will make the planet uh uninhabitable to the entire uh to every species that lives here yet it continues to do so capitalism itself is without strong regulations is gonna uh, constantly fuck itself and that's what's that's what's wild about it so when we see people like Kim Kardashian being affected. There's part of us that always wants to say, well, Kim Kardashian, isn't she the problem? Aren't these ultra-rich, ultra wealthy people the problem? I would I would argue She's not even that rich I would compared really... to the
3: people that are doing it. I'm sorry, I'm sorry.
0: She's she's <laughs> not, but she is rich. She is very, very rich. Don't get me wrong, and she's very connected and she has all yeah, these. I, look, yeah, I don't I, I will, I'm never gonna say she's not privileged. I'm never gonna say any of these people are not privileged. But I think it's it is such an enemy, like the system is so it's so destructive, that eventually it will it will kill Jeff Bezos, it will kill every single thing and person involved. Because that's how it works. That's that's the incentive structure behind it. So it is uh, I would I would, I would, I really want us to. And one thing I really want to focus on is I don't even really want to attack individuals too much because the problem is not Jeff Bezos, the person it is Jeff Bezos, the entity of a, a corporate system that generates capital, right? Jeff, Be- like Jeff Bezos, I'm not saying he's a bad, like a good guy, but the idea is that capital itself is really the, the enemy here. I That's mean everyone the enemy. Here
3: knows that, right?
0: <laughs> I hope so. I I hope so, but it gets weird because we start no, to No, I'm not
3: I'm not trying to talk shit. <laughs> yeah. I oh, I know, I know. <laughs> well, I know. Well,
0: I I don't because I'm starting to see, I mean, one of the reasons why I was uh you know, on Twitter, what you start seeing so often are people who are attacking like individuals themselves. And Oh, I see. Yeah. It's and I get it. Like, I get it to some extent. Well, you know, going back to Marianne Williams, or I can't remember if it's Williams or Williamson. Williamson. <laughs> I, okay, Williamson. I don't yeah. know why. I, I've said her name so many times. I've followed a lot of this bullshit drama and everything, and good faith critiques, but, like, you know, it's... I feel like we're she's, all familiar else.
3: enough. We could just all call her Marianne. <laughs> we're all Marianne, first name based,
0: right, right. All of us. With her. Yeah. Right, right. So, so, so the, the... The amount of critiques on her as a candidate, and there are very valid critiques on her as a candidate uh, to be had. I'm not saying that they're all in bad faith, but the idea that there seems to be a a, a portion of people who are attacking, um, attacking her as if she is capital itself, as if she is the the the, uh, the 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 she is the reason why people have been being kept down, why we can't have real change. No, the system is. It's it's the system that is doing it, and to the extent that the system is only allowing certain candidates to get through, that's a, that's a, a critique of the system itself. And I think if we get away from the individual sort of attack aspect, I think. Uh, our detractors and power will have a harder time uh, derailing our movements. Right? Uh, you know, if you if you know about like what the CIA and the FBI did with uh, stuff like CoinTELPRO, and how they were pitting individual Black Panthers and and uh, different uh, Black civil rights groups against each other through propaganda. And through, uh, you know, they were making like fake coloring books where black Panthers were being depicted killing other, uh, I don't know. Other
3: I people. Even, I, yeah, who, I haven't heard this one. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So this Cointel pro was doing that. They were, they were doing uh, fake coloring books and distributing them in, uh, these black neighborhoods, which depicted, uh, one black liberation group fighting against other and killing other black liberation groups. And, It caused conflict between these groups because they they bought it, right? But they never did this. These groups never did this against each other. It was literally, uh, you know, it was the FBI. It was people who were trying to cause divisions within us. And I think you're going to see the same thing with every single fucking candidate we have moving forward. You're going to see the same. I mean, it's happening right now, which is why we need a goal-oriented and a mission-oriented politics That's why it's needed. This idea of like, when I, you know, oh, go ahead. Yeah. I wonder
3: if one of the reasons why we're all so triggered by Marianne is partly that we've all like come so far intellectually and like with our politics by like talking to, you know, and like going really deep. And so it feels offensive that she hasn't gone that deep and yet she wants to, or something, you know, and, (laughs) but it it is interesting, uh... like, that that like we we do kind of don't do this to Bernie. Like I I can I keep forgetting it until yeah. Brie reminds us that like Bernie was also also just went along with Ukraine and everything in the CARES Act and uh everything with Israel. So what's wrong with us? <laughs> and it's I don't like yeah I I do kind of wonder, since we're talking about like, what if like we could split the baby by being like, like the Jews of the left. What's all like? I mean, anyone like I would encourage any like, like I don't have a platform, but any like, if I had a platform and I was known as like ethnically Jewish, then I would be like, well, as a Jew, I just I want to be in solidarity in solidarity with Palestinians, so I just can't endorse any candidate, no matter how much I love her, which I do love, Mary, like because she's for apartheid you know treating palestinians like uh, different people under the law right. i can't right. I, like as as a jew who wants I, to have solidarity with that
0: yeah i mean i think solidarity. that's useful but I, but i do I, I do caution how do i put this i, I we always have to be careful though of what well, what well, we're seeing ways that identity has been Weaponized pretty hard right now. Um, I just mean like as it's a, a, it's a
3: kind of as a strategy of like you know we want to be supportive of it. You know what I mean? Like there's all these opportunities right. that that uh, B.J.G. has has like reminded us that there are in having a candidate. And uh, God, I can't remember her name. And uh, Rebecca Parsons uh, has pointed right. out a lot of things that I wouldn't have thought of myself about why like, this is a really like huge plus is because of all the down ballot people that she promotes along the way. And like she does have a fuck ton of money and influence like you can't and and she's cool kind of you know like I like her but uh, like to also then kind of hold our leftist principles and hold some solidarity with um, with Palestine just as a strategic matter not to be like okay the whole left isn't supporting just to be like you know but just as a reminder like a few of us you know Jews we can put out like a press release or just you know try to you know just as, like, a way to split the difference or whatever, you know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah. yeah. I just remembered to think, I, I wanted to mention, well, um, like, there, there's an old episode of This American Life that I'll try to find and uh, put in the chat or the comment of this episode later. Um, it was this guy who was, like, evangelizing, and he went to, I think, somewhere in the Amazon to, um, you know, like, spread Christianity. And he tells this story about how at one point he told the story of his brother's suicide and everyone started laughing like they'd just never heard of the concept of suicide before and uh, this guy ended up uh, like giving up his Christianity and he like still lived there at the point of the this American Life episode he just like gave up being a white dude or whatever because um, he realized that they had <laughs> <a> better...
0: <laughs> yeah damn if it was that easy just to be like you know alright fuck this I'm out <laughs>
3: <laughs> <You> know, like, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you have to have a group of people that'll welcome you in and food, and you know, give you food and clothing, and a, you know, a, and like teach you a whole way, to, a whole new way to live, like hunt. You know what I mean? Like most people don't have that opportunity because capitalism yeah. deprived us of that. Um, yeah, but yeah, also like the thing about just doing the right that like you know, Sisyphus rolling the boulder up the like. Because I think about that a lot too. And like, um, also, I feel like all the all the themes we've talked about today are themes in The Sopranos. And, uh, like, at one point, there's a character who's, like, being driven back to prison by U.S. Marshals after he got a terminal cancer diagnosis. And he says, I smoked for 30 years or whatever, and uh, I just quit smoking, and now I got cancer. And then one of the Marshals says, still, though, it was the right thing. I'm like, that's so heavy to me. <laughs> and, like, yeah. he... And it can seem, you know, when I was yeah. younger, it was like, oh, that's like, I didn't, I didn't, I, there was no takeaway in that for me. But like, when I see it now, I see that like, Johnny Sack got to become a, he got to grow up. He got to become a different person. He got to show yeah. his family that he would quit smoking for them. Like, yeah. just because it doesn't work out exactly the way you hoped, like, it's still the right thing. Um,
0: yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah, it's really, really good. Hell nice yeah, BK. All,
3: that. That was all right, well, I'll, big, uh, I'll hang up big knowledge
0: minutes. from BK.
3: <laughs> It's all from The Sopranos.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a, one of the best shows ever for a reason, right? So, oh,
3: oh, my God. Oh, my God. One more thing. One more thing. I'm so sorry. Okay. Okay, yeah. Also, <laughs> about, you um, you know, how you're always like, Bree, you should run. Like, is that maybe your kind of way of coping with your desperate? I don't know. <laughs> but, like, I, I really don't think... Yeah. I think that she, like, like, we would... She's, like, our chief strategist. And, like, no one would have more... No one who could replace her would have more value, ever.
0: And like, she's, pretty, she's pretty fucking good. I mean, like, I think... The reason I think she should run is I imagine there being a... There's going to be a period where we get what amounts to a... One of you guys is going to become basically a leftist... I, I don't want to say, like, a leftist Trump, but something like that. Like, someone who just pierces through bullshit and says shit real, uh, and, and connects with people and then can just fire fire away. I think if that goes up right now, I don't think, I don't know if we're ready for that. Brie is really, uh, I'll put it this way. I don't know if the people would embrace that right now. There's still enough of a, like a dying sort of neoliberal, uh, Politics of and it's uh, politics of like respectability, you know, politics of aesthetically presidential, whatever. All this meaningless bullshit that's literally just like you know, it's it's just glitz and glam. It's it's a gilded age of politicians, the Pete Buttigieg candidates, where people he, (laughs) he. Believes absolutely nothing. He represents absolutely no one but the corporate masters and industry as it is. And people think he should be president. He's completely empty and devoid of anything. And he needs, you know, like, fuck that. But that's about to end. That's going to come to an end. It's inevitable. You can't keep putting paint on a piece of shit. It just does hope, not work. I'm we smell like, it. You I'm know? just
3: hoping that, like, when there is, like, a m- whatever candidate break, or whatever movement... You know, I, I'm hoping that there is kind of like a dark, smoky room where people can go to and kind of like, you know, spitball strategies before one is decided on. And like, I just hope that like Brianna Joy Gray is in that room, <laughs> you know, because like no one is a better strat. Like, I, there's very few people that like aren't gamblers that I would bet know that like, the most common dom- uh, the most common number for two dice to drop is a seven. Like, I bet, yeah. I just bet she knows that. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. She's, she has she's,
3: clearly has been like playing games from a young age and like strategizing with other yeah. people that are smart and competitive. And
0: But that's that's one of the reasons why I thought she would make an ideal candidate that too. And because when I'm talking about this last Gilded Age, if you look at all the checks um, that need to be marked for uh, people in this age, I guess. Right. Uh, she also m- checks off all of those boxes as well. She's a fucking Harvard law grad, right? She was an attorney for a time. She um, was Bernie's press secretary. She's got the resume builder aspects too, so she can't really be attacked on her resume, yeah, which is what people would people do. People
3: don't care. That's like saying, like, yeah, you know. but that's
0: that's that's like, uh, there's a voting base that still cares about that. There may not be a big voting I mean, base. I mean, I the guess it depends what base, she's running. I
3: mean, if...
0: yeah, on a presidential stage, I think yeah, I think, and plus, she's probably got a clean record, right? <laughs> I think, like, there there are some people I'd want to run, but they're going to get fucking stomped when it comes to the record shit. So I don't know. As, as long as there's still respectability politics and everything, then uh, either her or Fox McCloud. Um, Fox McCloud, our great leader, who put us through the Andromeda system or whatever it was and fought Andros and uh, beats the living shit out of every other character in Super Smash Bros. Melee. Uh, <laughs> that should be, that should be our leader. Um, but yeah, That's BK, fine. thank
3: you. <laughs> <That's my> yeah. <laughs> place, place, I don't know. All right. I'll
0: good. All right. Take care. All right. Bye. Uh, Andrew, what's up, man?
4: Bye. How you been? Good. I, uh, I came in late, but I wanted to come in and talk with you anyways.
0: Yeah. So what it, yeah. Always a pleasure to have I, you, man. What's, what's going on?
4: Well, I, I only really heard your conversation with BK. Um, First of all, I would just like to say, yeah, Fox McLeod, you have a great uh profile and, and namesake yeah. there. If you're the real Fox McLeod, uh i can I get a selfie or something? <laughs> but um but I will also say, by uh, the last few like major uh competitive melee tournaments, we had a Sheik, uh Puff, and Marth mm-hmm. win. Um yeah. Fox Fox is always is always in that conversation of like in a perfect world if no one had uh, arthritis and and human yeah. <laughs> reflexes Fox would be the best
0: yeah I mean, Fox is about, yeah he's got all the tools right yeah. yeah yeah
4: and Fox is sick like Fox absolutely can win and Fox, has won yeah Fox is sick in every era yeah, yeah. but yeah. like Fox there's also that argument for Falco and melee and like Fox and Falco I feel like they win. I would have to look it up. There's, there's, I think there's more foxes in like the top hundred players than any other character for sure. Yeah. But as far yeah. as like tournament wins, Fox actually kind of gets bodied over most of the last decade plus of melee. Really. Mm-hmm.
0: Fox and Falca. But what do you? How do you? Okay. What about people like Mango and I mean Armada? Mango still playing. Sick as fuck. Yeah, Mango. Uh, yeah, Amato
4: would mostly yeah. play Peach, and then he would use yeah. Fox to to play um, Hungry Box. Yeah, and then Mango Mango has wins. Uh, I think in every single year of Melee since like 2007 yeah. or something like that. Yeah, he's fucking so, insane. Yeah, for I can't me, believe like, he's been I that love...
0: relevant for that long. That's that is silly yeah. to me. Yeah,
4: but he hasn't been. He hasn't been dominant since like 2014 or 13. Yeah. Um, yeah, like in that whole t- there, there was like a solid year or or so where he won nothing, and then he won one big tournament versus Armada's Peach. Right. Anyway, this is super niche for everyone
5: who's yeah. Uh,
0: who's but listening. but I also I kind of want to talk but, about Amza now a little bit because him bringing a Yoshi oh, out bro. and just starting to fuck people up is you know you yeah. could so you can always tell bro. uh people who are listening to this later you can always tell like who among us watch a lot of YouTube <laughs> because like, <it's, laughs> like the only reason I know any of this shit is because, you know, like something pops up on the screen and I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll watch this, whatever. And now I've seen, now I know about competitive smash brothers and I, <laughs> I don't yeah. know why. <laughs>
4: Cause it's sick. Yeah, it's honestly such a yeah. good game. Uh, it's pretty the, awesome. The GameCube, the GameCube smash brothers is like, uh, I would put it on par as far as like, um, you know like how good of a game it is and how deep the kind of like the mental Combat game yeah. yeah yeah and and also the physical game go yeah. like from yeah. player to player is so deep it's it's as good as any pro sport as far as or or like yeah whatever else like other esports and stuff i think it's sick um but yeah. AMSA, for those who don't know um melee the gamecube smash has um i think 26 characters right and the game is now like 22 years old and, uh, every, every couple of years people are like, Oh, eventually it's going to just be solved and there's going to be no more like innovation. Um, you know, there's like, we were saying a minute ago, there's this argument that eventually Fox will be the only really viable, uh, character, which is just, I think it's kind of nonsense. Um, and AMSA right. is this Japanese player who, first came to the United States to play in 2014 or 15 or so. And at that time, before he came over and had really played against the European and American and uh, Latin American players who were really good. um, Everybody just thought Yoshi was trash. Everyone just thought like Yoshi as a character was totally unviable. um, And, you know, because he has a harder time recovering back onto stage. For those who have like absolutely no idea what Smash is like, it's a fighter game. You could imagine it like Street Fighter, but it's kind of three D. So in Street Fighter, you just kind of have back and forth and a little bit of jumping, but not too much. Right. And then in, in Super Smash Brothers, it's like there's a stage floating in space. And the stage is like the ground and there's some other platforms above the ground. And you uh you you lose a life if your character gets knocked. Out of the box, that out the stage. Of the stage is in. Right. So, yeah. So
0: there's no like life bar, really. There's just the more you get hit, the more your character the, gets knocked back, and the easier yeah. it is for them to get a ring out, basically. Um,
4: yeah.
0: But that it creates like, a situation where
4: it would be like it's you just not so knock your opponent out in boxing, and be like you have to knock them physically out of the ring
0: <laughs> to get exactly uh, right. to to get a win. But and every so, time you hit them, they fly farther and farther. So eventually, yeah. even a light tap will make your opponent shoot all the way across the ring. It's crazy.
4: Yeah, Bud, um, we gotta have God. a melee sesh if I ever come to Chicago or vice versa, dude. Dude,
0: hell yeah, that'd be awesome. Fuck yeah, come yeah. over here. We're, we're we're I'm down having a, a housewarming party in a couple of weeks if you're
4: oh shit in
0: the area, but... dude.
4: I I wish I'm back in Mexico already, but uh,
0: uh yeah, that makes sense.
4: But I will I will do that. I'll I'll, I'll have a house uh, reheating party with you sometimes.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's a good yeah. that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. But
4: like just really quick to finish up what we were saying about Amsa and Yoshi, like Yoshi most characters have two jumps, some of them have more, and then they have another move that they can do to to go up or in another direction to recover back onto the stage. So if you get knocked right. off the stage, uh, you might have your your double jump. So you have one jump and then another move that is different for every character to get you back on the stage. Yoshi doesn't have that second move to get you back on stage. He just has two jumps. He has some other unique features of his character that are super niche and hard to practice. And so in 2015, people considered Yoshi like one of the worst characters in the game. And then this year people are putting Yoshi as like maybe the seventh or eighth best character out of the whole roster you could play from and that's entirely due to AMSA. he's just an insane
0: insanely yeah.
4: dedicated really lovable human being who has just pushed his character to the point where he has won he, he won uh two of the most stacked hardest to win tournaments in all of ever. history of melee ever, last ever, year ever Late ever 2022 right. yeah right like as right. far as the as far as like the the bar for how good are the kind of mediocre players now they're by far Mm -hmm. better than ever. There's more of them than ever. And there's also, more. yeah, there's more players right now who could take a really major tournament than ever before either. So for me as a fan of melee, it's like the best time for me to be a fan in some ways, in other ways, there's depressing things. But, yeah, fucking check out Melee, you guys. <laughs> and then yeah. I have thoughts on politics, too. But like, that's, that's, you, I, I think, that, think
0: that kind of fits into the theme, though, Andrew. Because what, what we were talking about before you got here, before you entered the room, was um, basically the myth of Sisyphus, which is, yeah. you know, out, he was a trash-ass character. But the guy just fucking fell in love with playing Yoshi and kept rolling the rock up the hill. And in continually rolling that rock up the hill, over and over and over again, we now have a redefinition. We we have a new era of Smash where the top player, or the consistently like top ranked player, and now a character that's been low ranked are suddenly up to yeah. where no one ever thought it would be. Twenty years after the fact, right? So it's yeah, it's it's you know that's that's kind of the same ideology that I want. Or that same I want I want people to bring that same energy when it comes to their politics and when it comes to just day-to-day life. Like roll your rock up the hill. Just continually roll that boulder up the hill, and you don't know where you're gonna get. Because now yeah. you have you and I over here fanboying over a fucking Yoshi, <laughs> which doesn't yeah. even have the mechanics, if you just looked at it mechanically as a character, would be trash if you just judge the character only by what you see as its mechanics you would have thought this could never happen this is impossible he doesn't even have a fucking up b like a he doesn't have a a a jump to get back on the platform but here he is knocking everyone else out uh so that that fits honestly yeah
4: i i think that's a great um message though bod because and just because Shelly's not here, I'll I'll do it for the good of the team. I'll I'll do the Lenin quote where, for decades nothing happens, and then in weeks decades happen. Yep. Um, like you gotta be you gotta be pushing yourself, your community, other communities to to organize to be ready for that week. You know. Um, yeah. Like. Yeah. There there were. For for more Lenin history and analogies, there was a uh, another revolution that Lenin uh, was uh, sort of a participant in in 1905. Uh, after there were you know there were in the decades before numerous widespread famines, uh, super heavy uh, government repression of movements for you know social political change in Russia, and then also a pretty humiliating war against uh Japan who uh who beat the uh the Russians in a, in a fairly big surprise and you know after all of that momentum went into that and like people died and all this effort kind of went into the void for a moment it would have been super easy to um just kind of give up uh but then there was always just still like a uh continuing uh, will of these people to keep on struggling and change yeah. their society, and I'll do another communist quote. There's the Gramsci quote. I'm pretty sure I've done both of these quotes at different times on your show before, Bide, But they're so good, I will just go ahead and power through Yeah, they're through good it. quotes.
0: They're good quotes. the
4: The Gramsci one is uh, you need to have uh, pessimism of the mind and an optimism of the will to be like a truly effective um, actor in the world, and yeah. And you need to see yourself as a as an actor, not as a as a, a bystander or just a, a speculator, which is, I think is a huge problem in in the United States. Like this kind of um, this discussion of like, oh, should we um, sh- you know, there's like the kind of straight progressives in Congress are saying, well, we're going to support Biden because there's not a perfect alternative for us to support where we would lose no political capital, no, uh, fundraising dollars, and no, um, you know, whatever else, like make it as easy as possible. There's nothing that's like already built going to fall into our laps. And similarly with other people who are a little bit less in that straight laced progressive lane, they're like, well, we're not going to work on anything until it's already ready for us. So we're just going to keep doing Democrats, um, until there's already an alternative. And yeah, I just think that's ridiculous. So I'm I'm super with you on the I thought you were going in a totally different direction, but I really like where you took that that Sisyphus metaphor is like the untold story of Sisyphus is that one time that the boulder rolled over the top of the hill and it went somewhere else. Right. And it maybe right. did something interesting. It crashed into something and it opened up like a big Geode, or whatever, there's all these cool crystals inside, yeah. or whatever, like to use. Yeah, the and the geode the just
0: situation. had like mad bitches inside, and he was like, oh shit, <laughs> here we go. I knew I, I, I was going totally to forgot this all- what
4: horny was.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, man. I I, I think getting people to, um, you know, uh, weaken one of the things I really like from from the Dao Dei Ching. Uh, which is showing some of my my hippie roots, but there's a. Bro, I listen to line, Alan Watts too. <laughs> yeah, I'm, you know, I've been there. I've been there. I've been I've been uh, a little free in my life, but uh, there's there's this line in it that talks about like taking care of each other and take care of the, the population, and people and stuff. And there's one line that I really like that's just like weaken your ambition and strengthen your resolve which Mm. I think is cool because, you know, it's, it's, it's the idea of resolve is what's more important for actual ambition than the ambition itself. It is, it's, it's the same thing. I don't know if anyone here has ever like started a diet and, or started working out after not ever doing it before or whatever, but the, the, the main Thing you know, there are so many different diets to choose from. There are so many different workout routines. There's all kinds of different stuff. What's the best exercise I should be doing? What's the what should I be eating? Which diet is best? Yada yada yada. And that stuff can be very overwhelming. But the thing that is most important in any sort of dieting and exercise to be successful, in order to get you results, is not the program itself as much as the consistency with which you do it. It is a repetition. Yeah. It is, I'm getting up today and I'm doing my 20-minute run that I said I was going to do. And every time that I've been in the best shape of my life has been by establishing consistency. Resolve. Yeah. Just the will to get up and do the damn thing again. Just get up and do I it. Ran, Fuck it.
4: Yeah, I'm with you, man. I ran um, cross-country in high school and the, the first year I came off of doing track and field, um, like track running, but still long distance in the spring. Mm -hmm. And so I was pretty solid. And then I treated it after that first year of high school as like a, a seasonally limited activity. I'm like, that's a cool thing I do in the fall and winter, but I don't run cross country the rest of the year. Um, Mm -hmm. until my, um, my junior year, my, my like sophomore and junior year of high school, so two and three, I ran for any Europeans around. I, I ran um, uh, a little bit, but I also did a ton of mountain climbing. And so I had like good condition for my senior year. So like freshman year, I did well. And then second and third year, I just kind of plateaued. I didn't improve at all. And that kind of disappointed me a little bit. It definitely disappointed my coaches. And then my senior year, I remember uh, there's this one track. Um, it's not a track, actually. It's like a course, right? It's, for cross country, it's all like off track. It's all like long distance stuff in parks or whatever. And there's this one course where everyone would break their personal record because in Seattle and nearby, all our courses have a ton of hills that are just brutal. And then there's this one course that's kind of like next to this lake, a, a ways closer to the mountains, but the whole course is super flat. So everyone could like break their record there. And I didn't win or I never like won any races, but I remember being like third in the race for the whole time and be, and just being shocked. And I was like, Oh, this is because I kept up, you know, similar exercises for similar muscle groups, the rest of the year. Um, And yeah, totally. I, I totally um, agree with you. Like the result, the mental resolve to stick with it is so much of anything like yeah, melee—that's for sure true. Like Super Smash Brothers, melee is a game that you can take it down the deepest rabbit hole of extremely difficult technical maneuvers, where you have to learn how to do the controls right with your fingers, and that's like ten percent of the game. Most of the game is the mental resolve to, you know, remain competitive and calm, and also to engage with your the creativity of your opponent. It has very little to do with, like, what exactly are you, you know, be, beyond the basics of the physical nature, the majority of every um, discipline, every skill is mental.
0: Yeah, honestly, I, 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 I don't know. I was talking about Moomin Rider, uh, who North was good enough to to look up, but he's a character on One Punch Man who's just really good at getting his ass beat but he won't quit. (laughs) He just won't quit. He he's not very strong. He's not very powerful, but he's really good at getting his ass beat. And he keeps getting up to try to do what's right. And a real world, maybe a more real world equivalent is someone like, um, a guy whose name was Arturo Gatti. Uh, Arturo Gatti was a boxer who's he's, he's dead now probably because he took too much punishment in Mm. his career. But I have never, in my fucking life, seen someone who was so good at getting the shit kicked out of him and not quitting. He yeah. he just did not stop. You could not, you could not stop him. If you look at some of the, just look up highlights. Do do all of yourselves. Do yourselves a favor, and just look up highlights of Arturo Gatti, and watch him. There there was a, a fight he was in. Where it's literally rocky, right? He can't see. Both of his eyes are swollen shut. And the doctor is examining him, right? And trying to see Mm -hmm. if he could fight or not. And they do the tap trick. His coach is tapping. You know, the doctor's like, how many fingers am I holding up? He holds up three. The coach taps Arturo Gatti on the back three times. Three. Holds up five. (laughs) How many fingers? Five. He goes out blind his eyes swollen shut, and knocks a guy out, and it's just—imagine what you could do with that kind of resolve. Yeah. And 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 look at what that kind of resolve does as far as people remembering your like what you've done on this earth. You know, I—if I think about Arturo Gatti, every time I'm thinking about him, I don't. I, I always feel like a pang of like, man, what a fucking G. Like, what a guy. Like, how yeah. how did he do that? It's 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 hard to I'll put it this way. If I'm having trouble working out or something, I just think of Arturo Gatti or like Kobe Bryant. And it's like, I better get my ass into the gym. And I think the same thing is is, you know, having the resolve politically to fight despite what you think are the chances of victory, but to fight all the same. I think yeah. that is, that, if you have enough of those people, even just three or four, you could start doing actual damage to the system. You could start making actual changes to it, meaningful changes. And I think that's important.
4: 100%. I I think that's um That's it. I don't know. We're kind of repeating ourselves in creative ways, which I think still has value. And it's like I'm I'm of the opinion that um, when people say we're not going to, you know, don't expect to have Medicare for all in the next 15 years, that pisses me Mm. off. Yeah. I'm like, you know, you're probably saying that because you're not willing to go up against, um, you know, the forces that, you know, exist that are upholding the current system of, you know, capitalist medical robbery. Right. Um, Or that you actually don't understand what forces could be at your disposal. If people were um, communicating more broadly with each other and had the, the, the will and, and the, um, the sort of tenacity to try and, and try knowing they might fail. So you have to be willing to spend 15 years, I think, or more on a project that is that beneficial and that important, but you also need to, um, you need to not, you need to not necessarily have expectations. Like you need to, you need to be, um, operating as much as you can as, um, as a bystander to your own life and emotions in the sense that you can. Um, you can take a win without getting full of yourself and you can take a loss without um, having a bit of a tantrum. Yeah. And, and you need to be, you need to be willing to and, and able and, and sort of like willingly operating on a long time scale for stuff that is of this importance, like, you know, Medicare for all public, like um, people's controlled banks or union controlled, Union and, and like public board controlled transportation infrastructure, all these other things that are like really, you know, they, they seem like so far away because they're almost like the opposite of the system we have now. You have to be willing to walk every step in the middle from where you are right now to where you're going and also be 100% ready to uh, hitchhike. You know what I mean? Like if you all of a sudden yeah. conditions change, take advantage but you won't be in a position to take advantage if you haven't already done the work to to build up a long-term campaign full of fucking um, Arturo Gotti, Muhammad Ali yeah. style fighters there's that yeah. there's that you ever seen those interviews with i think it was it George Foreman who was fighting that's Ali my and... favorite
0: interview of all time andrew my favorite interview of all time <laughs> yeah, dude. was when a an older at the end of his prime Muhammad Ali agreed uh-huh. to fight George fucking Foreman who was the yeah. scariest fighter like ever at the time. At the yeah. time George Foreman had beat the living shit out of Joe Frazier who had beat the yeah. hell out of Ali right before. He yeah. he stopped Joe Frazier so quickly. It was within like 2 rounds. It was it's it's yeah. brutal how George Foreman was. How Foreman went to go fight Ali in Africa. And how Ali was telling people beforehand, people were warning him, please don't do it, Ali. He's going to kill you. George is going to kill Uh you. And how Ali, with the right strategy and tenacity, is just on the ropes, letting Foreman hit him. Letting Foreman hit him, letting Foreman hit him to tire him out. And then when the moment arrives, boom. And exactly, Fahim, Ali Mbaye. That was what the the crowd was chanting. Ali Mbaye. Ali Umbaye. And if you look at the interview afterwards, when Ali points to the camera and says, I told you, I told you that I was going to, uh, you know, beat him. I told you that I'm the greatest ever. I told you it was going to happen. Just just watch that post fight interview. You cannot help but feel chills. And it that is- one
4: is excellent. I was talking. I think I was talking about a later one, though.
0: Like oh, really?
4: After after their career. I could be totally mistaken, but I'm pretty sure it was George Foreman was talking about that fight and he was like I was hitting ali and i was hitting him really fucking hard and i hit him so hard like it would have knocked anybody else out and then ali kind of whispered in my ear like is that all you got motherfucker
6: and yes all, all you of a got sudden, george I knew
4: I, was, I knew I was in the wrong place like he knew, all of a sudden i knew yeah. it was over yeah. um and, yeah. but i but the one you were referencing i think is like even better i just kind of forgot about that one but i was talking about what, what, the point where like george realized like ali was willing to just take the the punishment uh, cuz he knew he could outlast him he knew uh, it or like wh- or like watching any interview or kind of like montage of ali actually doing his workouts and talking about how you got to you got to run until you're not sure if you can keep running and then just keep going
0: yeah like that you got to run of, through it it's it's yeah. you know it's it's, it's you have to fight simultaneously. You know, when people are bringing it back to the healthcare, people saying, well, we probably won't get that for 15 years. You have to fight yeah. with the resolve that you'll be in it for 15 years, but with the curiosity that you'll get it tomorrow. You, totally. you have to do both simultaneously. And yeah. that is making the choice to roll that rock up the hill. That is what it's about. It is, it is actively engaging in the struggle without regard for its chance of success or not because you know, it's that because you choose to struggle for something that's good. You, you are making the active choice to fight. And once you make that choice then the choice is made and you fight and you fight and you fight, you know?
4: I I like that. I, I think, I think it's almost for me, I have a hesitation to, to get super on board with that, even though I agree with you. Because it's it's so unappealing to a lot of people to hear like you have to fight even knowing you might lose.
0: Yeah, who cares? Um, but at the it's, same time, nothing, like, you know, you know. go ahead. Sorry,
4: it's some of the most empowering information you can give someone or like experiences to is if you can like as a teacher or mentor of any kind, or just someone engaging in conversation with people to um, to actually like have them realize of their own process, their own logic that I am so much better off having just lost. I've learned so much from this setback or defeat that I am now irreversibly more powerful. Like it's a hard lesson to teach people. And it's something that will kind of turn people off in a lot of ways, which is why I kind of didn't at first like the Sisyphus analogy but like the we should we should have a a cartoon of like sisyphus rolling the boulder up over the hill um and like not even being surprised i think would be kind of exactly the the sort of message or feeling that i'm i'm going for or taking away from this conversation
0: yeah yeah i think i think that's right i i think that's right it's it's and i think the fight part is that's the most important part is yeah, because I think, you know, if you're going to see things start to crack, if you're going to see the system crack, you're definitely more likely to see it start cracking when people are fighting like hell. So, uh, totally. Well,
4: I'll, I'll get out your way by it. You know, you got a couple more people in the queue, but I was just going to tell you, I invited you to be on an episode with me talking about, um, like local and, and state level ballot initiatives. Also Marco, if you're still in here, I invited you as well. Um, Amanda, I think you may have already accepted, or I told you I invited you, but yeah, I want to talk with with a good panel of people who have been involved in some kind of political work and organizing, um, to just discuss like strategy utility of those type of strategies. So yeah, just if you have time, it's like a week from today um so i know that's kind of like your your day we could switch around the time or we could even do it in your room is it is it tuesday on tuesday the
0: the 21st yeah okay yeah i can do that fuck it yeah i'll just do that right sounds good okay well yeah
4: i i it should be in your notifications but i'll i'll text you the link too but i appreciate you as always bye
0: Uh, oh the feelings mutual my brother okay take care andrew uh whoops hit the wrong button okay here we go Lysol what's going on let's give it another try how are you doing ah not too bad just you know uh feeling feeling pumped up now that we were talking about Ali and and uh Foreman uh man I love boxing boxing kicks ass (laughs) no remind me you're like you're like 30-ish
7: in terms of age yeah I'm 34 so so do you remember Ecto Cooler because that's what I'm bringing to the soccer game today
0: ecto cooler it sounds was it like a
7: capri sun it if was i see but it was green and it was orange and it was a
0: slimer from ghostbusters yeah i remember that shit oh my god dude yeah yo yeah you're bringing that today okay <laughs> yeah i'm
7: just gonna need to bring increasingly more dope um more dope snacks like maybe next time i'll bring the shark one
0: the little shark um the shark gummies some kudos bars Yeah. Yeah. That'd be sick. Yeah. The shark gummies for sure. I remember those, um, man, take me back to soccer days. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, so what's new and exciting with you? What's going on? How do you feel about, uh, you feeling all pepped up from the pep talk or. Yeah,
7: I'm, I'm, I'm feeling pretty pepped up. I mean, me and Maggie had a pretty good, pretty good chat yesterday and rudy's thing and like we have ideas that are pretty similar and kind of running concurrently and i'm just i'm really enjoying the fact that there's like a group of people i can disagree with strongly and still like talk to in a civil manner because they're like adults and stuff like me yeah. and Stu. Stoop- like somebody brought something about vaccines and rather than trying to convince eight to 10 people that vaccines aren't a conspiracy, I was like, you know what? Like that's, a, that's a bridge too far. Let's just agree to disagree on that. And I wish, I wish more people would get to that point in this discourse. Like it's okay to not agree. We're not to change people's minds. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I, I agree with that. Like Brie, you could tell was like, she's been worn down because the last two calls, it just like, it just keeps getting progressively more and more angry. Like, you know, I can yeah. just go home. I don't have to talk to people if they're going to be dicks to me.
0: Yeah, I, I do think, I mean, one of the things I worry about with um, any sort of like, uh, like I don't know, model based on, like, I'm, I, I'll am i say this. I'm glad I don't depend on Colin or anything like that for life or my income, you know, because I, I, I think that, uh, you know, you could end up saying the wrong thing or people could feel some kind of different way about a subject. And then uh, you find yourself without uh, an income stream or whatever. Um, and I, you know, I do think that, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm pretty patient at times, but Holy shit. Like I would, I'd probably be hitting the screen button more uh, if I was Bree. But I don't know, man, that's, that's, I say all that shit, but for some reason in the last, like, year and a half to two years i think i've just calmed down maybe all my fucking testosterone just like went away (laughs) and now i'm just i'm just full of i'm just full of peace and love and whatever but um this low t biden or low t bide yeah low t bide at this point yeah yeah (laughs) very low t i gotta put some of that uh some of that sunshine on my balls to to get them nice and uh you know manly again um oh you got you got stabbed Seasonal effects of ball shorter. Yeah. My balls get yeah. the winter.
7: They just, like, yeah, that's the, right. The, expressing themselves and getting some vitamin D. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Um, so on yeah, the, that's basically what's going on. Sorry. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I wasn't saying anything.
7: Oh, um, so yeah, on, on the optimism tip, the phrase, I mean, I come back to two phrases. One is everything is good practice for something that, you know, if you're, if you're viewing things right and you're being mindful of your experiences, you know, having to wait for a cab makes you that much better at waiting for a cab the next time type deal, you know, the, not that, 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 which doesn't kill you, make you, makes you stronger. And like when you're dealing with frustrating moments in your life, just think about how this is like setting you up for successes further down the road. Hmm. Yeah. What about it? Um. Oh yeah. So the, the the second one is um none of this is sustainable and none of this is inevitable. Like it definitely seems like things won't fall, but I mean, you know, nobody thought the Soviet Union was going to crash. Yeah, you know? we yeah. we we'd still be talking on AOL right now if shit was inevitable. You know.
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. And 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 uh, sorry, I thought you were going to say more on the on the on the first point, <laughs> but I I hundred percent agree with with that. You know, the idea of uh basically what doesn't kill you makes you stronger and you don't know really how fragile a system is until it really collapses. I mean, it's, it's uh, like, I don't see, it's getting harder and harder for me to see America not collapsing. And it's really uh, because the, the, you know, the, the kind of incentive structures which have been set up and the small population of people that the system actually serves is not changing. You know, that, it, it, it seems to be getting worse. And the, uh, I guess like the more establishment options to curb that are either being rejected more, out, more outright or um, they're unable to sort of replenish their quote unquote talent pools or whatever, right? Like the, 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 the system has become less insulated because they just, they can't keep doing the same strategy over and over again um, because the strategy they're using isn't in is literally not sustainable so it's it's you know the fact that you have the democratic party which does not have a clear heir or a clear successor nor does the republican party uh i guess you can say desantis to some extent but uh what what does that tell us i mean what how do they not have a secession plan? How do they not have anybody who could be showing up to do anything uh, to to maintain their system? And the people that they're trying to put up are uh, completely inept. It's it's wild. So I, um, when it comes to, well, no one thought the Soviet Union was going to fall. I, I see signs of the decline of Rome right here. And it's not a decline that's being caused by, you know, the Moors or whatever the fuck of the, the crazy <laughs> shit. You know what I mean? It's a decline caused by just rampant corruption and a system that does not serve its people. And eventually, that's going to put us, I mean, that's starting to put us all on the same page because it's hard, it's just hard to ignore how we're being affected at this point. I mean, like, dude, if, if like, if doctors and lawyers are struggling right now, that's your system's kind of fucked right like if if the people who are supposed to be like uh the social climbers or whatever are don't have anywhere to climb or are choosing not to climb anyway i think that's a pretty big indication that your system is is kind of fucked you know
7: yeah, it's like, what's what's the political equivalent of, you know, investing in buybacks and stock dividends instead of research and development? Because I feel like this incentive for short-term thinking is both corporate and uh, and government at this point.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the, the equivalent is uh, re- doubling down on Biden, you know? Um, I mean, I, I don't think it's... I don't know why it hasn't really hit me. I've thought about it sometimes, but sometimes it just really hits me that Biden, at the end of his second term, would be 86 years old. Okay? And that's not a spry, healthy 86. That is a fucking very sleepy 86. Uh, Blood filling your eyeball 86. Yeah. That is (laughs) a everything hurts 86. You know, that's... We have the, the fate... In large part, or the most powerful person in the country, the person that we're trying to make the executive in chief of the most powerful, richest nation in, in the world, is this guy. If that doesn't show you one that these guys don't run shit, it's really the the, the corporate you know goons and special interests that put them there only for their own uh, gain. If, if that doesn't reveal that, I don't know what else does. You know, and. The fact that Trump is, again, coming to be the, the lead candidate among Republicans, uh, even though he is, uh, you know, he's a phony, he's a farce, but it's, it's almost as if like people have been unwilling to accept the fact that you have to address the parts of the system that produced Trump to begin with in order to get him to stop being a relevant candidate. He will never not be relevant as long as you keep doing the same shit. And by electing Biden, you didn't just get rid of Trump. No, because you didn't get rid of the conditions which led to his creation, which led to his popularity. To do that, you actually have to address your systemic inequalities and your systemic issues. You actually have to address uh, health care, uh, public education, debt. Fuck, you know, start with debt. Like fucking have a jubilee for everybody. Right. No more debts, let people and, and and cost controls on stuff like housing, you know, like you actually have to address the things that led people to embrace Trump in order to not get Trump again. Or else you're just going to keep getting these candidates and they're going to become, uh, you know, eventually you're going to get a guy. You might get like a real proud boy type person if it's going to be a, a, a right wing version of it who's like a way better fascist than Trump is. And he's going to have the same appeal, you know, or you can get, and that's like our system is not prepared to reckon with that or to deal with that uh, because it's still putting the same inputs in and expecting different outputs. So it's, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of, uh, I think the fall of Rome is coming a lot quicker than people think. And I don't think it's going to be like a fucking red versus blue fight or anything like that. I think it's going to be the failure of banks, the failure of institutions and more and more January 6th stuff, um, which is going to be happening. And I mean like real January 6th stuff at this point. Um, I don't know. What do you, what do you think? Is that, (laughs) is, is you think that's out of pocket? What you got any thoughts on that?
4: No,
7: totally. I, I mean, I think, I think Trump is a sign of systemic weakness, of systemic vulnerability himself, because he yeah. they did not they did not want him to win the Republican Republican nominee. Let's be honest. Before he won the general, it was damn satisfying watching him take out the Jeb Trump, the Jeb Bushes of the world.
0: Dude, like, it was fucking was awesome.
7: Quality television. Hilarious. I like guy, but look at these other fools. They're, it's ridiculous. Yeah. And yeah. I think. I think the same thing, the same thing of same thing, you know, fits on the other party. If there was somebody who was able to, you know, capture them, because at this point where we're at is Donald Trump has stolen the Republican base, like the large number of people who are poor who actually vote for him versus like the wealthy people who run the RNC, like he's, you know, sorry, got a text message. (laughs) No worries. Um, there's, there's nothing they can do, and I feel like the I feel like the Democrat like the exact same thing is possible uh, on on the left. Although I don't know, Bree said the left the left is powerless, so I, I, maybe I,
8: should, I.
0: I don't know if she. I think she just says that, and I I agree with her critique, even though she was, uh, you know, she's a human. She gets down like anyone else and gets tired, and probably was just having a tired day when she was saying this. But okay. I don't think she's saying that the left is is like dead or. Whatever she's I think she has a critique that I have, which the, the left seems unwilling to meaningfully challenge power and not unwilling as in their souls. But they don't so many people do not take chances or put themselves out there or take risks because um, I don't know if it's just a, a an anxiety or a fear response or something like that. But I don't know. It's they're not doing it. Like, we need to start showing our whole ass, which is going to, it's going to mean a lot of stuff, guys. It's going to mean, it's its going to mean a true sort of, we're going to, at some point, have to reckon with the fact that, like, all of us, in one way, shape, or form, are, like, fucking, as individuals, we are, you know, like, human. We are we have our failings, we're, we're weak, we're, we're incapable and stuff like that, but how none of that matters really how everyone is like that. And we have to fight for the sake of everyone. You know, it's not just, uh, um, we have to stop looking for the ideal person, the ideal candidates and start realizing that we have to start collectively working towards it. We have to be not only the, candidates we have to be the the everything it's us we are the cavalry and 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 that does require us to check some of our ego at the door too like i don't care like this marion williamson shit no i don't i don't like her as the candidate i think she is much weaker than bernie in a lot of ways um i think she's much more vulnerable and i think that some of her ideas are bad but do i think she should be in the primary i think you definitely we, we need people who are far more leftist or far more willing to challenge power in the primary just like point blank period and whether you run them as a dem whether you run them as a green party whether whatever we need to start strategizing as far as like uh you know what i would suggest in this situation would be if you had a candidate uh My choice would probably be Brianna, but, you know, Matthew Ho is good. If you bring Matthew Ho in, you get him onto the primary stage, and then he promises to do a dirty break, I think that's good. Uh, But even if that doesn't work, you know, the the, the strategy should always be – it doesn't have to be set in stone, but should be constantly evolving with the idea behind it of what is the best way for us to take power wherever we can take it that's what the idea has to be which is why again I think you know when I was talking earlier about uh, critiques of individuals and how I think to some extent they're a little uh, a little silly and and kind of they miss the bigger picture we you have to attack the system directly you have to fight against that system directly um, you know what I mean it's it's' it's, it's a little more uh, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's, I don't want us to get caught, too caught up in, uh, some of the more petty shit. Yeah. Uh, I think we need, I think we need vibe warfare. Yeah. I think, yeah. What do you mean,
7: vibe has gone, has gone to shit. And like, we have so many people planning on doing things and we need to be able to see each other in separate lanes headed, headed on the exact same highway and be like, cool. Let me know when you need me. Cool. I'll let you know when I need I'll let you know when I need you and yeah. instead of getting to a point where we can't even like speak to each other because we have different views about strategy when we could just we could all be just doing our own strategy not bitching about the other person's strategy that would be you know as I, you know who's who's the op so, somebody's trying to break somebody's trying to like drive everybody down because there is like you know a, you know, I still I, I put out last last uh, last night like say a quarter of the people who personally donated to Bernie's campaign were like fuck this never again. That's one million people. He had four million voters. All it takes is twenty five percent of Bernie's voters, and you've already got your block. You've got a group of people that's worth talking about. But if twenty five percent of those people go the RBN route, and just like, "Nope, the rest of you are fake leftists. You're synthetic leftists. Like none of you, you know, only we're the real people who care about this, and only we're the people doing the right strategy." It's like you got to have you got to have cross. You got to you got to be able to cross platform. You got to be able to like reach out to people. Yeah. And just like in general, recognize we're all trying to accomplish the same end goal.
0: Yeah. See, like that. I think that's the thing. Is is when when I hear people just being like, "Oh, you're a fake leftist," or you know, they they're calling people that. What What's the next like move here? What does that do? How does that help us gain power and change? I want to win. I want to fucking win. That's what I want to do. I want. Healthcare. God damn it. I want I want I want things to fucking change. That's what I want. I don't want any of this. I don't give a shit about anything else. People could think I'm the biggest fucking piece of shit in the world and my name could be dragged through the mud for all generations. I don't give a shit. Did they get healthcare? Are we closer to being in space via Star <laughs> Trek shit? Like that's what fucking matters. Like nothing else fucking matters. No one on this planet Earth let me just keep it buck real quick. One of the reasons I do like this Albert Camus shit, too, is I. it forces you to, if you read the essay, it does force you in a, in a meaningful way to confront what death is, okay? And death is basically, it's not just the end of you. It's the acknowledgement that at some point, everything you've ever done fades away. Your memory fades away. Every fucking thing you ever stood for. And did whatever, you know, like everything about you as an individual fades away. And if you don't believe me, like we can't even fucking remember some of the U.S. presidents. They were the fucking president of the United States. Right. And we can't like we don't give a shit about them. Who the fuck is Millard Fillmore? Like eat my entire <laughs> ass. Like fuck. Like who, who the fuck cares? Right. No one cares. And that's like 200 years ago. So some of the shit about like, I was a true leftist, or I was this or that, like some of the shit about purity aspects is, is a over importance on your individuality, on you as an individual, as if fucking life gives a shit, it doesn't, it doesn't fucking matter. What matters is how were you able to meaningfully contribute to the world in a way that will carry on despite you. What did you? How did you help people who all come after you, and the world that exists after you to thrive? That's the only place where you can possibly find meaning. So when it comes to like you know people saying, "Oh, this or that shouldn't have been at this war protest," or uh, that guy's a fake leftist. I don't give a fuck who that guy is. If he is going to be useful in some way of us getting the power and making the changes that are necessary to get us to where we need to get, that's all. That's all I care about. Literally, that is that is it for me. And so often when we talk about, uh, you know like, call-out culture or whatever, right? And I don't mean, like, call-out, I'm not trying to be, like, everyone's woke, blah, 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 blah. like, don't fucking put me in that category, please. Please do not. That's the one thing I don't want to be remembered as, is fucking woke call-out culture guy or whatever, right? So please don't misinterpret me for, for, for that part. All I'm saying is that, like, you know, like, if the extent of our politics is calling Marianne Williamson or whatever the fuck her name is, Marianne Williamson a fake leftist and then that's it, and getting likes on Twitter. Please suck my whole dick. Please suck my whole fucking dick because I want change. I want change. I don't want uh, uh, points, imaginary updutes on the internet. I want fucking healthcare. That's what I want. So when it comes to cross working across the platform, that becomes a lot easier. When you're keeping it policy and mission focused. Fuck the people. It's almost, you know, like, was Martin Luther King Jr. a fucking G? Yes. Was Malcolm X a a fucking G? Yes. Are they? Do we over-remember them for the movement? Possibly. Quite possibly, yes. It's not about, like, we, we, it's, what what we should remember i think the best shit you can remember f- for them for is like what was what were their contributions along with the collective that was with them what were they able to accomplish quite a lot not everything we needed to do but quite a lot that's what i want to be that's what i want um so yeah you know like i'm, I'm not a big fan of the call out shit um I don't care if you're a fake leftist. Do you want health care? Then you're real to me, damn it. It's real to me, damn it. Can I mm-hmm. play that clip? The wrestling, yeah. it's real to me real quick, and then I'll I'll get back to callers. But yeah. wrestling is... Do you know what I'm talking about? Is this just me? I didn't okay. watch wrestling. Up now. Okay, let me, let me just see this. This is just a clip. It won't take long. Okay, so this is a wrestling fan breaking down and crying. This is when wrestling was unequivocally kind of exposed finally as false, not false, but you know, like it's kayfabe. So it's, it's a show, it's a performance. And this was this one fan's response. And this is how I fucking feel about your, anyone who's a leftist, who anyone who wants healthcare, anyone who wants, uh, you know, uh, guaranteed housing and who wants people to have enough time in their lives to just spend time building communities and don't have to be working every fucking second of every day. Uh, whether or not you consider yourself a leftist, or whether someone calls you a fake leftist, this is kind of how I feel. So.
4: Next question, Jeff. Where are you? Right there. Yeah.
1: Um, I just want to thank each and every one of you for all you've done to your bodies.
6: <laughs> it's still real to me, damn it. I mean. Thank you, Thank you, all guys. Y'all are
4: awesome. Thank you so much, Mister Funk, for saying what needed to be said. I
7: don't
1: want to see another one of these.
0: Well, <laughs> it's still well, real to you... me. I gotta say it one more time. It's still real to me, damn <laughs> I mean... it!
9: Thank you, <laughs> I
0: love how the other guys just like take it easy, man. <laughs> No, don't take it easy. Fucking pump that shit up. It's still real to me, damn it. It's still real to me. I love it. I love it. Uh, Any parting shots, Lysol, or? Um,
7: Yeah, just, I mean, on on that last tip about, you know, like, making common cause with people and stuff, like, I feel like instead of trying to find a code of policy beliefs where you're like, everybody believes the same, the, the exact same thing, there's just kind of like a bare minimum, like, mutual respect. It's like, look, like... Are you somehow a Nazi who wants Medicare for all? Like at the very least, show up and don't don't dress like a Nazi. Dress like you're not a Nazi for one day. Like yeah. you owe, you owe that to the people you are you're being in solidarity with. And yeah, on, yeah, on that yeah. on that tip, COVID was the opportunity for the left to unite. Instead, everybody went back to brunch. But brunch is good. COVID was a was a factor in in the union union push in the Buffalo Starbucks and the Staten Island Amazon.
0: Lysol, we like brunch. I want I want some pancakes, please. Cool. Eat brunch outside. It it's, not,
7: it's, not that, it's not that big a deal. Who's going to brunch when it's
0: snowing anyway? Like, come on. It's a brunch oh, you, you have not been to Chicago to then, honey. Chicago is, we don't give a fuck. We're at brunch every snow day. It don't fucking matter, man. It's brunch. It's brunch. We're doing it. Um, Chicago is a brunch city, though. I hate to say it. It's like brunch and then guns, <laughs> but you know, no, you're right though. You're right. That's, that's the, uh, to the extent that any of you are Nazis, please do not wear your Nazi uniform when we're fighting for healthcare. Okay. It will get healthcare quicker. I promise you.
7: Yeah. And and wear masks on public trans in uh, healthcare facilities and at the grocery store. So people who are clinically vulnerable can live a life like you.
0: Yeah. Do
7: it. Solidarity, Do it. With, solidarity with the disabled and the clinically vulnerable
0: yeah and if you don't wear a mask i'm not gonna i'm not gonna hate you but you know whatever <laughs> it's, it's that i gotta stop going after you lysol because everything i say is just like a, a shittier version of what you said
7: amen <laughs> hey, yeah. i i have no problem most of the world is wrong about this <laughs> so it's yeah. not like oh shit why are people yeah. like on call pushing back literally everybody yeah. feels that way but no, I hear I'm I hear paying you. more attention to the studies than they are. So I don't have to really worry about anything like that. And yeah. like, just don't, don't get COVID too many times. Cause you know, the effects are cumulative.
0: Yeah. That would suck, act like, would you, suck,
7: act yeah. like, act like you want to see your future.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good way to, that's a good way to put it. I like that. I like that. Act like you want to see your future. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for calling Lysol. Always a pleasure. And you have a new show that you're doing on call in, right?
7: Yeah. Uh, it's
0: every What's, other Wednesday, the second episode is going to
7: be next Wednesday um, and it's trying to, you know, I'm, I'm taking advice from people on Colin and doing like a local thing where it's like we you know, we're trying to amplify local journalists. And like the first episode was about the state of journalism. We're going to have another guest, TBD, and talk about something kind of in the same thing, but kind of just like a local vibe. So if you're if you're in the Bay Area, you know, give us a listen. And if you have some sort of perverse, I hate San Francisco complex, go ahead and listen anyway. I'll just meet you.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. Awesome. Well thanks, Lysel. Uh and, and, and take care. You too. Amanda, what's going on, girl? How you doing? How you doing? What's
8: living? up, bud
0: uh, you know, just doing the same old, same old. You know how it is. So
8: are you giving a pep talk or are you asking <laughs> for one?
0: I was I was giving, but if you have one to give, uh I'm well, sure everyone here would love to hear it. And well, it,
8: I don't have a pep talk, but I do have an idea Okay. that I think, well, I'd like to get, I'd like to know what you think about it. Sure. So after listening to Breeze, Debrief, and the her call-in show, I mean, to Bad Faith and Debrief for like a year now, I'm not an expert. However, it seems to me especially after the episode with the professor that she had, the law professor guy, that a school for lawyers that was like for radical lawyers. So that it didn't indoctrinate. Might yeah. be a worthwhile project.
0: I, I agree entirely. In fact, I think, I think it may not need to start with a school. It could just start with a, um, yeah. Basically, a left-wing federalist society, mm-hmm. uh, which I need—I uh, would like people who are better in constitutional law than than I have been—to uh, to help me come up with what the tenets of that would be. Uh, but I would—I would definitely want to do that. I would definitely want to be involved in that, and I think it's necessary. We need to start creating an alternative sort of pathway with people in positions of power to or people who are around who will start uh, sort of funneling some of these people into uh, clerkships and uh, to become justices and do other things uh, to where, uh, you know, they're they're ideologically aligned. Or at least they've been exposed to something that is not just federalist society,
8: right. they're uh, not originalist,
0: just... blah, blah, blah
8: right they're not they're not indoctrinated into the cult of us law but right. they are rather schooled in the techniques of that because like there's a lot of lay people there's a lot of smart lay people around out here that that with a few that if, with a few or even a couple of months of lessons like the one that Bree and Bree's professor had can shift yeah perspectives in ways that are important and yeah. just like that i i don't know what it would take to do something like that you could even do it as like you know go into the high schools and start them start them young start grooming yeah. them
0: yeah exactly what they think we're doing all us leftists exactly. well you're right
8: that's We're gonna right. make them into little weather <laughs> underground
0: motherfuckers. They're gonna be out here bombing shit <laughs> and being communists.
8: Black kittens. That's right,
0: black. That's right. <laughs> we should call them the black kittens. With as many people on Colin have a, a, a not just a cat avatar, but a black cat avatar. Uh yeah, People yeah. love black cats. Although July holding it down with the uh, the the OG gray there Brighty. as well. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, But yeah, I think I think no, I think that's super. Necessary at this point, Amanda, it's 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 part of there are parts of the system that are so good at I don't want to call it just brainwashing because it's not always like active brainwashing. Mm -hmm. It's just like the the parameters of the discussions, the allowable parameters of discussions that we're allowed to have develop uh, develop our framework with which. We go and then investigate and, and sort of uh analyze our worlds uh, following right. that framework and using that framework and and one of the most important lessons and there's
8: so many of you out here now yeah
0: yeah there's, there well there's a lot there's a lot of us and and i I will say that in the same way that Brie needed like a i mean she, she didn't need it, but you know part of what radicalized her was this this class in law school. You know, part of what radicalized me, uh, besides just Bernie Sanders, were uh, an understanding that my framework was not the full scope of the framework with which you can analyze something. And I learned a lot of that through just like, um, you know, uh, cognitive psychology, honestly. And, and understanding how the brain works and the mind works and understanding how people learn things and understanding biases. And, and if you can sort of realize that uh, the way you look at the world can be very much limited by the framework you've developed, I think that kind of opens up a lot of new doors. And uh, what's, a, what's a good example that I can think of here? Well, I guess, uh, you know, American exceptionalism. I think is, is, is an interesting one, right? It's, it's one that doesn't work as much as it used to. The, the idea of it doesn't work as, as, as much as it used to, uh, uh, or it's not as influential. It's not as convincing as it once was, but growing up when you would hear things like, uh, you know, America is the land of truth and freedom and free speech and democracy You don't question those things. And when you go and start looking at uh, how America has been enacted around the world and you see, oh, um, well, we're bringing freedom. We're bringing democracy. We're bringing truth. Uh, Again, you you run into a situation to where if that's your framework with which you're analyzing the world, then uh, you're going to come to some weird conclusions that are not factual and that are not helpful and that actually obfuscate the damage that your country's actually doing around the world and it's like that with law too i mean criminal law class was one of the things that really changed me because you learn about so many things that are just that are so many ways in which our criminal justice system functions but how it's just wrong and you know when i learned that Things like mandatory minimum sentences or uh, tough on crime laws had no impact on the reduction of crime, and just created a system where uh, you're just locking up people for ex- exorbitant amounts of times and increasing their recidivism rate. So the rate with which they're willing to or they're they're likely to recommit a crime because now they're just in prison surrounded by criminals and the more uh inhumanely you're treating the criminals the more it reinforces a a group of people who become more and more antisocial who are already somewhat antisocial to begin with in their behavior uh you learn how much of our criminal justice system is just completely fucked and not based on any evidence or whatever and if you really want to reduce crime then at times it means well Maybe you should lessen some of these penalties. Maybe you should actually the money that you are putting into prisons, you should focus more on reformation because and and societal reintegration. Maybe creating a punishment environment for the sake of punishment doesn't actually have uh, data to support it being a worthwhile or a useful sort of uh, thing to do. And and yeah. you know the societal release to the extent that we feel any for someone getting a harsh punishment for doing a a harsh crime, maybe there are other ways to alleviate that, to get people to have their sense of justment, justice, uh, or to the extent that that feeling is not good for society or does not like create any positive outcome, maybe we can be willing to abandon it in favor of a system which actually uh, is better at reducing crime and
8: and delivering. justice. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's I, I know it sounds so basic, Amanda. It's It's crazy, but it, that's that's the truth of it. Right. It, it <laughs> sometimes is that basic. It,
8: it, it, you know, and it is. And there's so many of us who can see it clearly, who are smart, but somehow aren't able to grab the reins. And I mean, as you know, I was an elected official. And even as an elected official, there were many different constraints including different people trying to influence me that where where having just some of the basic parameters of the framework within which most people are living a better understanding of that may may have been helpful but i see jonathan's on the queue i just have a a quick question because i want you to Ponder on it before you give me an answer. So it's kind of a homework assignment. Okay. But I was thinking about the laws about cannabis businesses Mm. and how like in New York and California and some other places they're trying to repair the damage of the drug laws and, you know, arrests and prison terms for possession and that kind of thing by, by, um, giving special um, licenses or whatever, making it easier, clearing a path, making an easier path for black and brown people who've been convicted of these crimes yes. in the past. And and my my thinking is that's just another way to entrench a racial systemic situation rather than because it can be looked at as a leg up but it could also be you know cuz the then the then the idea is well you can still be the drug dealer but now you're going to be the regulated drug dealer right is kind of the, the cynical way to look at it so i'm just i'd just be curious at some point to hear what you have if you have thoughts about
0: that yeah i mean let, let me think about it since it is a homework assignment but cool. i'm
8: yeah for m- sure my
0: mind's definitely it's a
8: big it's a big question yeah
0: well it, it, it's it, a big question. my mind's immediately going to like conversations about reparations to some extent right like right. but right but i think this one might be, and an it
8: could
0: call. just be a I don't know. Yeah. I'll, I'll think about it you're yeah. saying it could just be a what
8: uh, I, I mean, I, it could just be that a right wing talking point that I happened to come up with in my brain when I was listening to some show or other talking about these kinds of things. I
0: mean, so. my, I, I mean to some extent, I. My instinct is to say, I think that's good, actually, but I have to think more about. Right. Because if what we're if all we're talking about are people are saying, well, that's not fair that they have uh
8: Right, and it's no the next generation, though. Is it that it's the next generation effect that you have to listen and look for? I think. Yeah. Anyway, I'll 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 go because I want to hear what Jonathan has to say. Thank you, Bide, yeah. for engaging. I always have a lovely conversation. Always,
0: always. Thank you, Amanda. Uh, oop, click the wrong button. I keep doing that. On on. Here we go. Okay. Uh, Jonathan, what's going on? Uh, can we hear me? Yep, sounds good.
9: All right, then this stupid glitchy app is lying. I'm just going to X out that box. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to make Amanda feel rushed. If i had known she was going to feel rushed, I'd drop back out of the queue. But uh, I did. Uh, I did get a little excited when you were talking about parameters of conversation and social psychology, which is kind of a uh, sort of a, a pet uh, issue of mine. Like I've I've definitely done some uh, deep dives on that. I kind of wanted to. It reminded me of uh, back during the Iraq war. I remember there was, um, uh, do you remember Baghdad Bob, the guy they call Baghdad Bob?
0: He sounds super familiar. Uh, the Iraqi
9: minister of information that was basically saying that uh, the glorious Republican Guard was kicking our asses up until the point where, and when Abrams tanks were rolling right down the main street,
0: right, right. And,
9: uh, and then he just kind of disappeared. But uh, there was a trilingual um, Israeli-Arab journalist called Khaled Abu Toameh who went into uh, you know the streets of Gaza City and did some man-on-the-street interviews. And people over there were kind of wandering the streets in shock. And they were like, oh, my God, the Iraqi Minister of Information lied to us this whole time. And they just couldn't believe it. And they were kind of wandering in a state of shock. But... Instead of like, you know, some people were just kind of laughing at that and being like, oh, those dum-dums, you know, how could they have believed that nonsense? But it really hit me at the time that if you don't have a frame of reference to know any better, you'll believe all kinds of ridiculous stuff and never question it. And it started, you know, back around 2003, kind of like making me wonder, like, how many things are we like that about? How many things have we been told that aren't true And how many things have been excised from our conversation that we simply don't have a frame of reference to know any better uh, that, you know, other people are like, those dum-dums, why don't they know this? It's so obviously ridiculous. And the answer, it turns out, from what I've discovered since, is quite a lot. And, you know, that that is one of those things that social psychology does go into. Uh, There's a guy called uh, Ari Kroglonsky. Who wrote a book called like the psychology of close-mindedness? And essentially, once we have those kind of core assumptions that are programmed into us, and we don't have any, uh, you know, frame of reference to question them, uh, they become kind of a core part of who we are, and we start to actually become protective of. Yep, them Yep. Uh, when we're confronted with,
0: you know, disconfirming information, so. Yeah. No, that's that's yeah, exactly right. Anyway, I mean, one of the things that uh, I'm so glad you made that last point too, because the There's enough research now to show that the more ingrained some kind of idea or belief comes, uh, the more ingrained it becomes with our identity and how we identify, how we uh, present, uh, the harder it is to change. And it doesn't matter what amount of evidence that you really put forth. Uh, If it's sort of core to our identity, core to who we are, it... really no amount of evidence will really change that. And that's what makes it difficult. You know, like, I mean, religion is a, is a pretty easy example to go to, but, uh, you know, if evidence came out tomorrow, irrefutable evidence that, uh, there is either that there is no God or that some other religion was right. Let's say, you know, like that actually, it actually is a flying spaghetti monster and there is no afterlife. Right. Uh, People would not, a lot of people, Christians and other religions, religious people who have that as a core part of their identity would not be able to really contend with that fact. They'd have a lot of trouble dealing with that crisis of faith. Um, And I think that's the same with political ideology a lot, too. I mean, I got an uncle who is awesome. He's like the shit. He's really cool. Uh, I like him a lot, but he has always, always, always just identified as a republican and in the same way my parents have always 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 identified as democrats and some of the shit that both of them say is so detached from any like anything but it's being protected because well I'm a democrat I'm a I'm a liberal well I'm a republican I I just this is what I do this is what I believe this is who I am and, you know, like, it's a natural part of how our psychology works, but it's a part that I would constantly try to ask people, myself included, to fight back against. Like, fuck, none of, none of our identities is so precious that it should never change. Like, I'm sorry, but none of you, the only person who can possibly make this argument is Mr. Rogers, is Fred Rogers. I stand by that. He was perfect. Do not. I will fight you like I will. I will fight anybody who wants to go against that. Fred Rogers is perfect. The rest of us can change. So don't, you know, try not to make it a part of your core identity. Um, But you're talking about a little bit more of your pet project with this. Was there a specific aspect of this sort of uh, understanding of social psychology that's become one of your pets? Like a
9: Well, I mean, it was kind of like it started off as, uh, you know, trying to. Understand my right-wing relatives, yeah. and you know how they could be—you know—so very smart in some areas, or even kind-hearted in some areas, and have these completely uh, off-the-wall, ludicrous uh, beliefs. And you know, there was that was kind of the thing that gave me the idea to look in the social psychology area. Was also uh, some of the stuff that I had, uh, you know, struggled with earlier trying to understand situations like you know, the Holocaust and situations where all these uh, ordinary people were complicit in uh, a terrible crime. And some of them who had been, you know, uh, vouched for as good people earlier were somehow transformed into monsters. And uh, that, you know, the learning that those little things about uh, social psychology kind of brought that convergence there uh, and really uh, sent me kind of down a rabbit hole of uh, the social psychology literature because uh, I was a neuroscience major as an undergrad before I dropped out of Tulane, oh, cool. uh, So I had at least some background. It was like a, a joint, uh, it was an interdepartmental major between the, uh, the psych department and the cell and molecular biology department. But they had kind of a big cognitive psych program there. And, uh, you know, having so I at least had like a little foundation where I could actually delve into the legit psych literature read papers and know what I was looking at and that sort of thing. And it, it, it actually took a surprisingly short time to reach the limits of what is known and understood and get into the purely theoretical or speculative or this is possible, but we don't have the instrumentation to prove yes or no. And so you have a lot of these competing theories and it really wasn't that hard to, to kind of get to that uh, that frontier and go swimming in those waters. Yeah. But uh, you do find uh, some really enlightening and interesting things there about that exact phenomenon, which is uh, just the way your brain is naturally constructed to conserve energy uh, is plays a huge role in that. And we all have, like, you could never conceivably in one lifetime go through all of the core assumptions your brain has uh, made kind of a part of who you are, whether a deep part of who you are, or even a shallow part of who you are and interrogate them all and, you know, set them to rights. We just don't have the bandwidth. you got like, um, there's, you know, one thing that kind of in in Tversky uh, were were big, uh, you know, one of their big discoveries was, that uh, the conscious mind, the you know the higher conscious mind, can only focus on one topic at a time. So when you're multitasking, you're actually not multitasking. You're rapidly task switching, and um, you know that. So I call that the bandwidth problem. And then the the energy problem is that uh, those higher cognitive functions, including skepticism, by the way, yeah. like skepticism is a energy intensive higher brain function. And it consumes the, you know, your brain's energy, like the neurotransmitter glutamate, uh, faster than it can be replaced. And so your brain is constructed uh, to uh, put in what, uh, you know, these these kind of shortcuts and these ways of saving energy and saving time and saving resources. And those kind of core assumptions, including trust, including um You know, your brain's default setting is to believe everything it's told, basically, because that's the lowest energy thing that it can do. And those kind of core assumptions serve that purpose of these are things that you trust in. These are things you can rely on that you don't have to question or challenge. And kind of forcing people to challenge those things and devote some of their cognitive energy to something that they have uh, made uh, as a core part of, who they are and what their life assumptions are is something that can actually cause serious symptoms of psychological trauma and PTSD. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if it's too heavy handed, it's no joke.
0: No, it, it, no, absolutely. And and I think one of the, you know, I said to the extent that you can, I guess, be aware that you are developing sort of schemas and uh, biases and everything to challenge them. But I think, and, and also, you know, to the extent you have political identity and everything not to make it a core part of your identity. But I do think that to the extent that you're going to make anything a part of your identity, you know, making those things more along the lines of someone who is skeptical, someone who wants to, I guess, try to get it right. I think those, like, maybe those things are less uh, or better parts to make to the extent that you can actively, actively make them part of your identity. Maybe those are better things to actively make part of your identity when you're doing it. Um, but it is, you know, I do think it's it's funny that you mentioned the Holocaust and, and Ordinary Men. I, I don't know if you're referring to the book, Ordinary Men.
9: Um, yeah, Christopher Brown. Yeah,
0: Christopher Brown, but that was um, one, one of the things i was a history and psychology major in college i, I double majored because i don't know why i thought it was cool but one of the one of the things i was focusing on particular in particular was um the holocaust and that book and a lot of the sort of psychology around what led otherwise ordinary people good people to do uh you know some of the most atrocious things that have ever been done in human history and what you realize is that it's not any great inherent evil quality within someone that does it it is a set of societal pressures which build up slowly which cause people to conform and what we tend to be good at as individuals is justifying what we do after the fact uh, without being able to explain the reasons why we're doing it maybe necessarily beforehand Uh, and in, yeah, Liam Festinger's theory of cognitive dissonance. Right, right, right. Exactly. Exactly. And that, that aspect is important here because it, it, well, you know, I tell this story a lot, but I think I'll just tell it again. Just one of the stories in ordinary men, which I found so, uh, shocking to me, but it's about a, a police force of people who, uh, you know, according to at least their own journals and everything, were not, especially, uh, did not have especially strong feelings against the Jewish people. But
9: no, they cried and threw up when they were first asked to participate in an execution. The men of Mobile Police Battalion One Hundred and One. Right. Most of these were like middle-aged bureaucrats. Yeah, these were
0: middle-aged bureaucrats and and people who were otherwise too old to join the the Wehrmacht, the German army at the time. Uh, they had aged out, so they still wanted to do something that was, you know, uh, useful for their war effort, useful for the country. But they basically became some of these people became the first like death squads who were, uh, mm-hmm. you know, for those who haven't studied the Holocaust uh, s- sort of deeply or who aren't too familiar with all the different parts. I mean, you know, the final solution, the aspect of the death camps was was really that. It was a it was a final solution to the final solution of exterminating the Jews. But before that, they did uh, basically mass graves and firing squads. So they would use a bullet and shoot every single one of them individually in the head, basically. Uh, which is as abhorrent as it sounds. But some of the people doing this were otherwise... You know, these weren't like raving lunatics. These were accountants who were now being tasked with killing people. And you ask yourself, well, that's obviously an evil act. That's that's perhaps the most foul act that you can see. But one of the stories in particular in that book, which always sticks with me, is there was a diary entry by one guy who... He would only shoot the children. So he would only shoot Jewish children. He wouldn't shoot the adults. He refused to shoot the adults uh you know in 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 the executions but he's killing the kids and what he would do is he would have another member of the battalion shoot the parents first and the parents would die and then he would think well the parents are now dead so this kid cannot survive on their own so shooting them at this point is an act of mercy and then he'd kill the kids and that is the kind of like, like obviously when we hear about it, it's like that is completely fucked up. But the need for this person to justify it in a way that was morally justifiable for, and the ability of just someone who otherwise did not have strong feelings against the Jews to to, to engage in this kind of, Destruction, I, that to me, that stays with me because I know that I, neither I nor anyone else, is immune to the, the, uh, the I guess, committing great evil. Or we're not immune to the vulnerabilities in our own social psychology. Yep. And that is... That is sort of a it's 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 kind of a hard thing to accept about ourselves. Well, you know,
9: you might be surprised to learn that that was a controversial aspect of that book when it was published uh, around the same time as uh, that uh, ridiculous book by Daniel Goldhagen, Hitler's Willing Executioners, Mm -hmm. that basically said the Holocaust could only have happened in Nazi Germany at that time because they were a uniquely evil people. More or less, that's the, the simple-minded conclusion they came up to. And guess which one of those books was a bestseller? Hitler's Willing Executioners. And these two had gone back and forth in debates, and it was very obvious to me, having read that book, that your conclusion was correct. But people just didn't want to face it, and they well, that's don't.
0: that's it, Jonathan. That's, and that, it's, that's... it's a very disturbing... Yeah. yeah. No, that's exactly it. People don't want to face it. And that's where social psychology comes into play again. Right? This idea that we don't want to believe that we're capable of that. We don't want to believe that. Imagine accepting that belief. If you accept that human beings are capable of those kinds of great evils, including ourselves, that changes a lot of. That changes how you approach a lot of different subjects. You know, going back to criminal justice reform. If we are going to believe that we are capable of these ill and like, you know, these criminal acts. Wouldn't that make us want to treat people with a little more compassion going through that system to want to find the underlying cause because the underlying cause is not a broken soul within a person. It's not a broken, you know, part of, of a special wickedness, which lives inside of them. It is, uh, someone who their circumstances and in some cases uh, their, you know, their, their biology in some cases, but most of the time their circumstances have shaped them into doing this thing. So what is the point of punishing the person now at this point? Like what do we actually get out of that? How does that solve anything? Where, how does that help us progress anywhere? You have to fight the system that produces that, which is why, you know, with with, um, you know, Eichmann in Jerusalem was another book that I found fascinating for that reason, which was about the trial of Adolf Eichmann, who was one of the he was like the one of the people in charge of coordinating uh, how the uh, Jewish people were shipped to death camps and his trial. Uh, it's called, what, the, banal- the Banality of Evil? I think it's Hannah Arendt who, who did that. Yeah, that was Hannah Arendt. Yeah, that was Hannah Arendt.
9: On the, on the, uh, but yeah, I think that was her book on the, uh, it was a collection of her articles that she wrote that she put in book form on The Trial of Eichmann. Yeah, yeah that was the right and, one. And, and,
0: and I think that's also an interesting book, too, for that same reason, because it talks about how Eichmann was not this raving, mad, lunatic like uh who was hated Jewish people like Hitler or you know someone like uh uh Goebbels or what was the name of the guy the there were a couple of what was that one guy's name oh
9: well, Goebbels was a propaganda, propaganda guy he was a
0: propaganda guy i think I, and i thinking of goring there were a couple people there who were definitely like very <laughs> sorry murphy says uh, mel gibson <laughs> <laughs> Of course you would, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like, I think it's goring is who I'm thinking of, who were really, you know, they had something to the to the extent that you could call people like legitimately wicked in what they were doing. Like, I, it's easy for me to put like Hitler in that category, but at the same time, you know, he's not made of anything. Well, there's Himmler.
9: I think you might be thinking of Himmler. Himmler, goring Himmler, is the Himmler that's it.
0: Himmler, Himmler, yeah. Himmler, that's right, that's right, that's what I'm thinking of. um yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's uh... You'd like my old professor. He was,
9: uh, he was kind of my version of, uh, of Bree's professor that kind of changed her life and her way of thinking. Uh, it was a guy named Henry Mason. He was the former chair of the political science department at Tulane, but his kind of lifelong project was understanding the Holocaust. And he was like semi-retired. I had the honor of being in the last class... He ever taught. He was also ex World War II OSS, mm. he had debriefed oh, toward shit. the end of the war all these Nazi war criminals, which is what got him started in that field of scholarship. Yeah. And he taught a class called Holocaust Systems under the political science department, so it was not a normal history class. It was a structural analysis, uh, and it, it compared it. It did a comparative study with other. Genocide systems, with kind of the the Nazi Holocaust is kind of the 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 model for the mo the more perfect genocidal uh, organized genocidal system. But he kind of broke down these various aspects and went into this history. He was the first one who had me read Christopher Browning's Ordinary Men. It was relatively new at that point, maybe three or four years old, and uh, you know he like. It really was a life-changing experience, kind of taking that kind of neutral, non-emotional distance and really looking at the structure of what happened, including the things that um, you know, that we now know played into Leon Festinger's cognitive dissonance theory, but the kinds of things that Goebbels suggested, uh, learning from the T4 euthanasia program where they were murdering the mentally handicapped they had those kind of uh, facilities and including the incineration crematoria ovens too close to urban areas. And there were too many people that were too closely connected with the mentally handicapped people that were being murdered, including high Nazi party officials. So when they structured things like first they had them wear yellow stars, then they instituted segregation, which by the way, they got from us. uh, And then they put them in ghettos and then they walled off the ghettos And by the time they were ready to liquidate the ghettos and take all those people off, they knew that people would be so detached from those populations and see them as an other that, uh, and they would be so enamored by the fact that they received all their old apartments and possessions that uh, they wouldn't ask when they gave them some flimsy excuse like, Oh, we're shipping them off to Madagascar so they can frolic in the wild as free range Jews. Uh, And you know, what a stupid flimsy excuse, but no, they were obviously being shipped to Eastern Europe to be murdered, but nobody asked any questions at that point. And the the kind of steps that they took to prime those people not to ask those questions or to just move on with their life and make it more cognitively difficult uh, for them to turn around and be like, well, what, what happened to those people is also kind of chilling and eye opening and makes you realize that uh, these people aren't monsters. They really are like us and that. If you flip a few switches in our brain, and we're not on guard for the kinds of things that can make that happen, uh, we're all capable of unspeakable evils. And that's something that people have a a really hard time accepting. You know, they they want to like everybody, and that's kind of what you were saying earlier. Like nobody wakes up in the morning and says, "You know what? Today I'm going to be the bad
0: guy." I mean, Billy Billy Eilish. About it, yeah. But you get it.
9: Hillary Clinton, maybe. Uh, (laughs) No, but they like basically everybody thinks that they're the good guy, and they have to convince themselves that they're the good guy, and that's kind of a basic aspect of, of human psychology. Is kind of tangentially related to Leon Festinger's theory.
0: Yeah, but I, you know, if there's, I guess, if there's a grain of salt, or if there's something, one good takeaway to take from this, it's that people want to convince themselves that they're the good guy. So the desire to be the good guy or to be good, or at least viewed as good is there in the vast majority of people. So it's a matter of like, how do you, how do you make sure that people are like following the closest to good that we can come right? Like the, 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 the most ideal version of good the most the most um, just version of it, and I do think that desire being in there I guess that's that's where I get a little into like C.S. Lewis and stuff. Is I I don't know I'm not gonna go down that route. Maybe I'll do a whole uh, a whole day just about C.S. Lewis. I don't know why I would do that, but I do find that idea. Which C.S. Lewis
9: though, like the the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe yeah, series, guy, or guy, no.
0: the the more theological, the theological uh, CS Lewis, because I do think some of the stuff that you know, back when I was a little more hardcore of like a, a Christian, uh, which I don't know what I am anymore, honestly, but uh, you know, the CS Lewis stuff, I did find it fascinating though how he was, you know, he talks about how people have an innate sense to want to be good, and how when people are being evil, most of the time, it is a a problem of misconstruing facts uh so it's this idea that they think that they're doing good but they just happen to have learned or to think that the doing good is they learned bad facts that make them think they're they're bad or make them uh think that the bad thing they're doing is good so it's never like a you know he was basically arguing that it's never people actively wanting to just do the most wicked shit really like that's that how it works most of the time. It's most of the time people convincing themselves that whatever fucked up shit they're doing is good, which is why, you know, when we talk about this like uh trans story hours or or drag uh reading circles or whatever, people have to frame it in a way that is not about like how the the people in drag necessarily are well, they, they frame it in a way to where you're protecting kids. That's good. Protecting children is good, right? And how these people are evil because they want to hurt kids and hurting kids is wrong. But they have to convince themselves that what they're doing and saying is in some way morally justifiable, morally good. And I think it's like, uh, you know, that's something we have to contend with. But, you know, it's it's worth contending with. Uh, I guess.
9: Yeah, there's truth in yeah. that. Maybe you should do, because, like, I haven't read a lot of his uh, theological work, but I know they're still popular sellers long after he's been gone. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I remember when I when I worked at Barnes & Noble back in, in high school in, in the late 90s, uh, you know, they were still yeah, hot commodities, and I, I hadn't even realized that uh, – that was, you know, the bulk of what C.S. Lewis did. I only knew the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe yeah. stuff. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, those are like that's that's valid. Like that's a, a valid. I, I also do basically believe most people are fundamentally good or want to be good. Yeah. And you know, the kinds of people that are that do evil and nasty things were, you know, again, like we discussed, there are ways to prime people or shove people into those channels but they don't believe they're the bad guy. They don't believe they're doing wrong. And the, the key is to make them give up one notion of what they're doing, you know, what, they're, what is right or wrong, and give them a path to grasping another one and correcting course in a way that doesn't trigger uh, what uh, Kroglansky calls the, the, well, what all psychologists call the sunk cost fallacy uh, which is a very very powerful uh, psychological force. It's, uh, you know it's, it's one of those things that they've, they chronicled for years, especially now when they have things like fMRI and, and CT scans, right. that cost thing triggers feelings of, of physical pain uh, amongst other things that are completely psychologically created. Yeah. you know when you try to take something away that people hold precious. And much more than, you know, gaining the reward for gaining that thing in the first place. So if you can do that without triggering that or triggering it to a minimal degree, so they're willing to go through it and over it. uh, But that's really the trick, isn't it? I wish there was a magic bullet to do that, but, you know, know, it's kind of an individualized thing.
0: It's super, I kind of fucking love the, that you brought up the sunk cost fallacy part too, because. You know, it's kind of like a breakup in a way, right? Like you've had this thing that you've been in this relationship with this idea or whatever for a long time, or you've put a lot of commitment and time into it, and then it all just ends. It's just done, and there's part of you that's like, well, what? What was the point of all this? But in the same way, I don't know, maybe a sunk cost fallacy. I'd like to see some research on this, but maybe one way to escape that feeling, like making people feel that physical pain from having to acknowledge that they've been wrong about something for a long time, is in the same way that you do with a breakup and sort of acknowledging sort of what you've learned or acknowledging the fact that you would not be like the kind of person you were today without having had experienced that breakup or without having have had that relationship or without having been there uh, with this person. You wouldn't be the same person today if you had not struggled or you know had that idea and, and clung to that idea for as long as you did to now give it up. That is growth. So that being like a necessary step, like the cost that you sunk into it was necessary for your development into who you are today in the same way, you know, like a, like a relationship or something.
9: I think it's interesting that you came up with that particular analogy because I um, actually was uh, in a conversation with um, one of the psychologists I follow on Twitter, who's, who's one of my favorites, Keith Payne. And I think he and and one of his colleagues were, um, were, looking for i can't remember specifically what it was but this particular reference uh to um you know the um you know the effects of um of the sunk cost fallacy or something being removed that they liked uh or that is core to their to who they are uh i brought up kind of that that reference to um Basically, that's the same kind of thing that makes people so traumatized and depressed when, uh, you know, they have a bad breakup or they discover a spouse is cheating on them because they have put that trust in the other, okay, and that has become a core part of who they were, the assumptions they made. And when you discover that that is wrong and that this assumption now has to be discarded, it forces you to go back through all the details of your relationship and all the things that you base that assumption on. And it was such a core part of who you are that there's no way to do that without psychological trauma. So in a sense, the recovering from getting over the kind of trauma that comes from giving up one of those core assumptions is a very similar process to getting over a bad breakup or you know. The, the kind of trauma that comes from discovering that somebody you trusted was unfaithful in some way. yeah. Uh, the same kind of, of things like you just described of what you actually gained from that experience, uh, you know, certainly would be a good path after the fact. Although I would suggest uh, the best path is what would minimize that kind of friction in the first place. Although I don't have an easy answer for, uh, for how to get that, Uh, that sort of lubrication, I guess you'd go.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't have an easy answer either, but I do know after enough breakups, um, (laughs) you get better. (laughs) You know, you do learn things as you, as you go through them. And I think uh, the first cut is the deepest uh, as they say. And I don't know, maybe that applies to, to the sunk cost fallacy. Uh, with other areas of life, but um, yeah. Any other uh, parting shots, Jonathan? Man, it's always a pleasure talking with you, man. You got a you got a big brain, yeah. Likewise, delicious brain.
9: Mm, it's it's just stuff that's accumulated over time, I guess. That uh, you know, nice to be able to share it with somebody. Yeah, really.
0: it's like an all you can eat. Your brain's kind of like an all you can eat buffet with like a bunch. There's a bunch of different stuff in there, you know, and you can get as much of it. there's nothing want.
9: that can make me any money.
0: <laughs> well, not yet, baby. We're going to monetize you. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out for sure. (laughs) We'll figure it out. All right. All right, man. Later. I'll let Kirby talk. All right, for sure. Thanks for calling, Jonathan. All right. Oh, and Jonathan's got a show. um, I think it's usually on Wednesdays. Uh, Bestie, I hate to tell you this. uh, It's either Wednesdays or Thursdays. Thursdays at, uh, I know it's 2 p.m. Central. uh, Usually with uh, neoliberal tears, and it's great. Uh, it's, uh, It's a lot of fun. So definitely check that out, too. Uh, Kirby, what's going on? Go ahead and unmute yourself and, uh, uh, welcome, welcome to the show. I think Kirby sucked up the microphone and is, uh, walking around as a microphone now, um, unable to talk into itself. Uh, so not, not sure. And Kirby, the the app's been having some problems too, so you can, uh, I don't know if you have to re-download it or reinstall it or exit out and come back. Or maybe you just took a nap. Maybe you went to Dreamland. You get it? Oh, are y'all getting it? It's like Kirby in Nintendo. Kirby's Dreamland. You get it? Do you fucking get it? Okay. Um, all right, Kirby, well, we'll try you again uh, if you come back. Uh, but for now, I will uh, go ahead and move on to Selly and Sally, what's going on? How are you doing?
10: Hi. I have just a, a comment. I was trying to write it, better, but yeah, my phone is very old. And here's the thing. There was this, Mengele was here in Argentina. Uh-huh. And it's a very interesting book, about a um, movie also, about he engaged with his family, right, and messed up this family brain, and it explores mainly their the relationship and the changes that go through this couple and how it's different from the woman and the guy and she's pregnant so there's there's a lot of things right like he he had a hold on Mm -hmm. but it's very interesting to see two people in the patagonia region away from war away from that had nothing to do with with you know this this uh maybe right like the 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 racial hatred or the religious hatred and just figuring out how bad this guy is and how much are they willing to put up with him Mm -hmm. right in order to get their baby so it's very interesting the transformation of these very good people into you know, what, what are you able to do? Manipulated by a guy like that, right? Uh, Right. It's called Wakolda. And yeah, I think it's very interesting, because it's, it's away from all these, these other factors. And yes, of course, they he's able to to manipulate them in, in in a huge way, especially her that is so much involved. And to the other part that you were talking about, right, like, this, Sum up because when you it's not just when you lose what you thought, but this there's a this thing that they do with the Maras, right? Like these gangs that they make, um, they make us as a baptism, they make the, uh, the, the one that initiates and kill someone randomly in a way, and so right. after that, it's like you change right? Like, even if it's not already something you thought or an idea or something you defended, but it's so much harder to come back from. And they know that, right? Like, it's it's not just it's something that you did. And I think as, yeah, society, we have to to figure out how long, because of course, right? Like, these people become criminals. Really, really bad criminals. And if you are a victim of them, it's very logical. You want revenge or hatred or something like that. But if you're not a part of it, right? Like if we are able to look back and see them not as victims, but as someone else's, right? Like people that didn't came, as you said, that didn't wake up one day and wanted to be or were not born like that. Yeah. Um, and because what's going on in, in some places and this, the, the, like I'm very pro the legalization of drugs in order to stop narco traffic, which is a very big problem in my region. But yeah, there has been this very other, you know, this pushback about being very hard on criminals, almost torturing criminals that, that have at the beginning, brought some, I don't know, relief, I guess, to to some people in El Salvador. But eventually, like, you lose your rights because they put a state of emergency. And so it, it, it comes to this, okay, first they came from, you know, because, yeah, like, you look at a police badly and you are into the same. So it gets a lot more complicated than just, like, you know saving the society from the criminals it's right okay. Um... right okay and right. it's it's me that
0: no that, Bye. Uh, that, that oh sorry you there's kind of some feedback coming from from your end Sally but it's it's yeah i i think it's good to look at these things with the kind of complications or the as look at these things and understand that they're more complicated than just person bad. Um, I mean, God, you hit on so much too. Because when when you talk about how people can be manipulated and controlled, when you when you brought up uh, Wakanda, too, I mean, it's 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 if 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 you all have not read uh, Pimp by Iceberg Slim which was a pimp back in the, I don't know, Deschapel has mentioned it, but um, it's just about how you can psychologically, basically train, uh, you know, like trick out a person to do, engage in all of these behaviors that are very much against their self-interest. And I think that we've all kind of been pimped a little bit uh, in America too. It It is. Hmm. It's. I, man, man, you know, like, I, I guess this is the time to say something like uh, this might be controversial to say to people here, but I'm just going to say it. I don't think anybody who believes in a, a wider movement or really anybody is really past redemption. Or past a point to where you have done something that's so like I don't know wrong that you you're like done. And I think part of I don't know if if part of the like anxiety that comes from the from I don't, I'm not going to say the left, but from people not wanting to get involved in either politics or in a, a wider revolutionary movement is because we kind of think that we're imperfect, or because we realize that. Um, we were pimped for so long that maybe we don't deserve the, 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 reins of power or whatever, or or we don't, we're unwilling to like, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, I don't think that the past, your past has to define your future. I don't think because you have chosen not to roll the rock up the hill in the past, that stops you from rolling the rock up the hill right now, literally starting right now and just doing it, um, because uh, you know, I, I, I mean, Sally, you, 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 so many people who are in, you know, Colombia and, and 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 Argentina who are engaged in the drug trafficking trade are not there because they wanted to be there they're there because there are not other viable options or because pressures have led them to have to go do that thing. So it's, 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 I think we lose a lot of time again, when we're destroying, um, when we're attacking individuals for similar reasons. Right. Uh, But Sully, what, what were you going to say?
10: Yeah, because they, the, 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 when something works, is usually not putting, not it's starting putting people in jail. Just that. Like, you have to do something to that neighborhood, like put in a school, like, or, or if there's a school, like put in some music uh, institute, or those are the things that work. Right. Because, like, these kids, when they, yeah, like, it's very obvious, right? Like, they are so easily co opted and they're so young. And the thing is that eventually, uh, I don't know. It's, it's it's poor against poor, right? Until this day, became because the the narco dealers, the ones that are very very rich, are just a few, and they usually more into like laundry money. But the rest are are people that live there. That yeah, that was this. Okay forget it because i I was going to tell stories pointless but the thing is also it has a lot to do with identity which i think you use sometimes the word like in a different way because these these people right like for instance the maras they these people from el salvador that had to land in a very poor neighborhood in LA where they were attacked by other gangs and they found this unity in these people, and they had to go through killing someone in order to belong, and I think it has a lot to do with what you were saying, like this self-harming. Like sometimes I feel people voting uh, against their self-interest in order to belong to a certain class they are no longer in, right. or a certain idea that they grew up that life was supposed to be, and and they are far down the the salary right into a, a low class but they still perceive themselves as this this middle class and want to right like to belong into the, the the success or whatever and so that that's one thing with identity and the other thing is I'm going to leave you a choice you and Jonathan like here identity is a big word mainly because, it has to do with the right of identity, right? Here is a right because of the children that were kidnapped during the the dictatorship, right? And for instance, there is this movement about, uh, you know, donors or egg donors, right? Like they want to put this this option of the kid that is born from that at the age of 18 Right? like when it's an adult, if they want to go and check and see who their parents are and stuff like that, because there seems to be, it didn't happen to me, but it seems to be when somebody doesn't know where they're coming from, this urge that, I don't know where they, what it comes from, but this real urge to know your origins, to know who you are, and I never see anyone I'll never hear anyone talking about it, right? It's a very different thing than the gangs and stuff like that. But I, it would be interesting to have a conversation on identity on those regards, on who you are and and how it, it is in many parts of the world, the the right of identity that has nothing to do with, maybe with ideology. Well, yeah, that discussion is being had, but there is a much more important discussion that is who you are and if because somebody and if somebody can steal or prevent you from knowing your identity, yeah, you know what I mean.
0: Yeah, I, yeah, and yeah. I, I do think that's interesting. Like the identity as of right, I think is interesting. It's, it's, it's. Hmm. I'll have to think about this a little more because there's there's two sides of me on this. One is the the right to sort of have your own identity being like the right to choose who you are associating with the right to sort of be a person who develops and has their own interests and doesn't have to fall into uh, uh, whatever box someone else is forcing you into. Right. And that is, that's sort of a right of self-determination to some extent. But I do think that, you know, there's this, there's this other aspect in America where identity is so often seen as like a, they're not, it's advertised to you like you should have your identity, but what they really mean is your identity as a consumer. The, the only way they really want you to express your identity, remember we're talking about like those parameters of a conversation, a lot of the parameters of how even people are even taught to identify themselves in America have to do with uh, what they consume, their consumption habits. Oh what movies do you like? Oh what uh you know what clothes do you wear or what style do you have? What kind of car do you drive? What kind of house do you live in? All this all this shit that like none of that has anything to do with identity at all. Like very or very little. The closest is probably music you listen to, right? Or something like that. But like the the maybe there's a there's a a conversation to be had about what identity means or should mean versus how is identity packaged and sold to you as something that becomes meaningless.
10: Yeah, and how important it is for for human beings in a way that I, I seriously, I struggle to understand because it didn't happen to me. So I struggle to understand how much these people desire to know well, for instance, right? Like, this, it, it started with these kids being kidnapped during the dictatorship, their parents killed, and they being given up to other families to be raised and never told, right? That's that's how the movement started here with the abuelas of Plaza de Macho. But if you have, for instance, in, in South Asia, Asia, I'm sorry, like you have many kids that are taken because uh, orphanage get a lot of donations, these ONGs and stuff like that. And they're taking from their parents and saying that they're going to be, right? Like educated and stuff like that. And they're just, and they, they are completely, like they change the, the, the kid's name. They go away into not knowing that, right? Like it happened also in East Timor when Indonesia invaded. There's so many cases around the world and if you saw the struggle of these people to see where they came from that sometimes we look at identity as something that we are we construct that that is true and that is a right and i agree with you a hundred percent but yeah there's a another part of it that that it's it doesn't define you but you have the right to know it right. Because apparently it's a need. So yeah, I wanted to read that because I want to make a room or maybe, I don't know, or you or someone and have that conversation. Yeah,
0: that'd be an awesome conversation to have, I think. I think that's that's a fascinating subject too, Sally. Um okay. But yeah, thank you so much for calling in. Okay. Uh, any no, parting chats? No, thank yeah.
10: you. Thank you for ha- for having me. Bye. Yeah,
0: bye. Okay, so I, I, I'm going to get to... The last two callers, I'm gonna try to finish up at 10 minutes cause I could feel my energy waning and I still gotta uh, I still gotta work out to keep this fucking bod uh, for all y'all. And uh, I also have to, uh, what's it called? Put in my time, my billable hours. So, and that ends in an hour and I usually need at least 45 minutes to do that. So uh, I'll rush through these quick. But but meaningful. What's up, Brady? Welcome back. How was how was the open
5: mic? Open mic was cool. Um, Got my phone charged up. Nice. Hey, and I'm glad you guys like my profile picture for my proxy account, Fox (laughs) McCloud. Oh, is it?
0: That's awesome. Fox Um, McCloud rocks, dude. Yeah,
5: that's what my proxy (laughs) was Using it for my laptop earlier, (laughs) and uh, because my phone was (laughs) dead. Fox, Fox McLeod is the man, but apparently I am not the man. Apparently I am a bad, rude dude, Yeah. and I had to have an intervention today about how bad I was, <laughs> but it, oh, really? it didn't go too yeah. well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. We, unfortunately, we spent the whole time talking about me, and no one wanted to talk about the Proxy Party platform, which is actually a pretty good idea. And it seems like a lot of people on Colin are starting to come around to the idea that we actually need a viable third party. That's like to the left of libertarians and less feckless than the greens. And, um, so I got a lot of criticism on my idea, but no one was really able to make the idea better. So I'm wondering how valid criticism is if they're enabled to, I mean, I guess that's true. Criticism's always valid, you know, but, uh, yeah, like they spent most of the time criticizing me and less of the time, you know, criticizing the idea, which I think of would have been a more productive conversation. But, you know, I called out Lysol Tony Romero for being a Donald sympathizer and for telling people to stop voting, which I think sets us back, what, like 100 years in political progress. Like, I think I don't think that not voting is an option. I think that's exactly what the government wants people to do. As a matter of fact, Cambridge Analytica, took a bunch of Facebook information from people during the 2020 election, and they used that information to target people with ads. And what they did was they targeted black communities with ads that discouraged people from voting, and they targeted Donald worshiping communities with ads that encouraged them to not only vote, but to become politically active. And um, so Cambridge Analytica, there was a huge scandal in Cambridge Analytica dissolved, right? No one was charged with anything, but they dissolved the company and they restructured under Emmer Data. And they're set to do the exact same thing in the next election cycle. And it seems like whatever they're doing is already working here on call because Lysol is really hell bent on the idea of not voting as a way to, to change things. And I would offer that there's a thousand ways to change things outside of voting, but you can do those things and also vote at the same time because it helps less privileged people. And it only takes like half an hour and a trip to your local library can be fun. You can pick up seeds from the local seed bank there and like, you know, start a free garden while you're there voting. So there's plenty of reasons to still vote. And if you want, if you feel like you don't want to vote for the false dichotomy, you can just write me in. (laughs) <laughs> and if you don't want to write me in, then you should try to find um, try to find someone who's better than me. Um, and we should totally debate and see who the best candidates yeah, Brady, are. Brady,
0: I think it's a I we think It's, just write I think it it's uh, a fundamental law of nature that it's impossible to find someone better than you. Um, I don't think there's a single person. It
5: seems to be the case <laughs> as it seems to be the case. Unfortunately, which means we might be doomed. Yeah. Um, but I'm very open to the idea that someone can probably do this better than me. And I really hope that someone does at some point. I hope I'm not the only one doing it at some point. Um, I'm going to register with, uh, a group called run for something. And I think that all of the, the seats that go unchallenged in the next election could at least be filled with homeless people. Like we should get a campaign to put homeless people in, uh, to run against some of these unchallenged seats on the local level. And that would be better than nothing. I mean, I can write their names in, you know? Um, this is something we can do.
0: I actually huh, I actually do like the idea of recruiting homeless people to run for office. I huh. No irony. I actually I, there's something about think about that that, that. I kind of
5: like. But I don't yeah, know. We, we could I, also I, I, uh, do like an Occupy DC thing, send them all to Washington DC and just take care of them, make sure they got everything they need, take care of, you know, that's just an idea that Gator, uh, not Gator, but Lance had a while back. I thought that was pretty cool. But yeah, like seriously, you can write them in to get to bypass the ballot access bureaucracy that prevents so many people from running. We can, I know it takes a little more work, but we, we could write people in like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'm not against that idea, Um, you know, to the extent the proxy party. Look, I I think I think third parties are uh, viable. I mean, the only thing I would have with the proxy party, I mean, I I, I've read through some of your proposal. Um, You know, I I like the fact that you're you're thinking of you're trying to think of things for us to get somewhere. I think that's actually the kind of behavior we want. Right. Is people doing that. Um, you know, to the extent that there, there's the infrared camera, uh, barbecue session. I don't think that's supported in science, but I do think it's fucking funny. (laughs) You know, I think it's, I don't think there's any evidence to support the fact that like, uh, you could put a bunch of infrared cameras on a bunch of politicians and read when they're lying or not, but I think it's fucking hilarious and I would love to see it just because, you know, it's funny.
5: funny. through predator vision, it's like predator vision for the policy. It just adds a layer of hilariousness to the whole thing. You're right. Exactly. And uh, beyond beyond the, you know, infrared vibe check, uh, came up with another good idea the other night for accountability. And that would be collateral. Like if you want to run for office in the proxy party that you have to drop down, like if you own stake in a bunch of companies, you have to put that up as collateral for your performance in, uh, Congress or wherever, whatever seat you have. And at the end, um, people give you a rating and decide if you get that collateral back or not based on your performance, but some kind of collateral or contractual agreement to hold uh, elected officials accountable.
0: Yeah. I, I, I I agree with that. I mean, I'm working on an initiative right now, which the, the, the bulk of it is to draft legislation, which stops, uh, it basically prevents the any elected official from uh, it basically puts a cap on their year to year annual increase in net worth that they're allowed to generate. So it hard caps the amount of money that they can make year over year. And uh, that is something that I've been working on for about a year now, still drafting the legislation, but we, we got a group. um, It's called the fat cats initiative. Uh, As soon as we're done putting that full plan together, then I'm going to probably do an episode or something on it. But no, I agree that there needs to be some kind of accountability mechanism for uh, politicians that makes them more accountable directly. One, one uh, less, less able to be influenced by corporate and uh, moneyed interests and elites, right? You, you got to solve that part of the problem. But I also like the other problem of making them more accountable to the party or the voting block and the collateral idea, I could see a lot of problems legally with it, but I, I actually, you know, that's, that's, a I like it actually, the, the collateral aspect, maybe that's something we, uh, we can play around with as an idea. That's actually, that's actually, that's, that's, that's interesting. Uh, at least, that's
5: interesting. At least experiment with it. Hell yeah, dude. And I'll pass the mic to Rudy, but I just wanted to ask before I go, uh, What you've heard about people using jailbroken ChatGPT as lawyers and how how successful you think that is, because as it stands right now, ChatGPT is coming out with new versions. And every time they come out with a new version, it's harder to jailbreak, um, but it's more advanced. So right now we're living in this like wild, wild west situation with AI where we actually have access to more more unrestricted AI than we ever have had before, but this is going to be a fleeting moment in history until we start truly open sourcing AI technology. And I think it's an opportunity for people to start co-ops and, um, nonprofits, uh, was it private membership committees and stuff like private, private membership associations, things like that, that, um, you know usually the cost of a lawyer is the biggest hurdle yeah. in starting a, a nonprofit yeah. or something it's like big that big and so i think that people could potentially use chat gpt right now as the lawyer to to write up bylaws it's really good at writing up bylaws you know you tell it what you want it to do and it can write up some really nice bylaws right now so I just encourage everyone to take advantage of that while they can, you know, um, because it might not, that resource might not be there forever. Yeah.
0: I'll give my input on that part. I've, I've, I've tried to use chat GPT, uh, GPT to do some legal work, not like for clients, but you know, whenever you got to write articles about shit and, and get it to, uh, I don't know, give some kind of interpretation of a case or something like that. I've tried to use it, uh, because it saves me a lot of reading. And what I found is uh, it it's not – it gets – it tends to get, like, the legal precedent right, but it makes up a bunch of shit. It doesn't actually know cases. It doesn't actually have a database of which cases are precedent and which are not, uh, meaning, like, which ones can still be enforced and which can't. And it doesn't have a good idea of um, – uh, le- it, it it won't it, to me at this stage, it's it's not sufficient enough to give you an accurate output, but what it can do is give you an output that looks and feels accurate that if you were to actually try to have it hold up in a court or something, uh, anyone who was researching whatever case it was citing or anything like that would immediately be able to tell you that that case doesn't exist and that can get you into trouble. So I would not personally use it for uh anything that involves like legal precedent or as a, as you know at as a authoritative source on the law that being said it can be useful in some ways um with with uh you know to the extent that it knows a specific case can be writing contracts and bylaws and, and then, yeah and the contracts and bylaws yeah, and not contracts contracts and about that too is is um uh the I haven't actually used it to write bylaws. I know that there are a lot of form bylaws that you could find online that are pretty, pretty accessible, including bylaws, which are put out by the IRS and, um, uh, so, like local secretary of state's offices that give you basically the basic generic template for bylaws, which are pretty, pretty easy to do. Uh, or a pretty, they're, they're not too, all you got to do is like, uh, insert different names and, and stuff and you you, you get some pretty it's decent um, bylaws. Um, the only other thing I'd say, the uh, question about using chat GPT stuff for legal stuff right now is, I'm assuming since it's jailbroken, it's not sending the data and everything back to the, the, the corporate masters or whatever, but I'd be very wary of that. Wary of like, um, to the extent that there's information that you're trying to make sure is not like uh, public, I'd be wary of uh, using chat GPT Uh, to the extent that anything that you put into ChatGPT now is just data being collected by the company. Uh, So if you don't want anything in there that you don't want them to know, don't use it for that, unless jailbreaking uh, sidesteps that. And if you can do that, then, hey, go nuts.
5: Right on. Cool. Yeah, unfortunately. Might not be able to jailbreak it for very long, so gotta take advantage of it while you can. Yep. Have you done that? Yet? I have not <laughs> jailbroken yourself?
0: it. I, I've I've played around with it, but I haven't jailbroken it. I. I uh, but I'm interested. Highly recommended. I'll probably go read some about that.
5: Highly recommended. Man. It, it'll give you some very different answers after jailbreaking it. It'll it might surprise Interesting. you. Interesting.
0: Okay. Well, that's good to know. Well, thanks, Brady. Uh, appreciate Brady, it. I I appreciate bought, it. And bought. to the extent that there's an intervention, hey, maybe you know, like. Just everyone try being nice to each other, including you, Brady. You know, no, Brady? no, no, no. I think like I think everyone
5: deserves me. to have their card pulled. I think we need to vibe check everyone, and everyone deserves to have their card pulled, including me.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, that's good. Then yeah. take it in stride, and yeah, uh, you know, yeah. keep on, keep it's on, fun. keeping on, my dude.
5: <laughs> I do it. I'll do it again if I have to. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay. Right on. All right. Uh, bye, Brady. All right, and Rudy uh, dropped out, so uh, we'll we'll. Have Derek come up. Derek, what's happening? Hey, what's up? Uh, You know, just same old, same old, baby. How's your night going?
6: Uh, I'm done with work, so I'm cool. Um, But I know you're tired. I just wanted to be quick. Um, Zach, I don't know how familiar people are with Zach. Um, Zach's been on here a lot and consistently, um, except for the past week. Uh, he he has some kind of a condition I've never heard of, uh, something to do with his kidneys failing I think it was. Um, I don't, I'm I'm worried that uh, that he's in trouble. I hope he's still with us. Uh, I don't know, but uh, if if anybody feels like it, if they're inclined, um, maybe drop him a message. Uh, ask him how he's doing. Zach Davis. Um, Zach, Zach I, I, I don't Zach know his D, last name. He has name.
0: the uh, the picture of like the glasses guy from Atlantis. As yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
6: Okay. Yeah. Um, he was excited about doing a trivia show. He seemed upbeat. Um, but the condition that he was talking about sounded, you know, pretty bad. So, um, I don't know if he's still with us. I hope. um you know a few messages i think thrown his way could uh could help him get past whatever whatever he might be dealing with um you know provided he's still around
0: yeah so i hope first you know let's hope for the best and hope they're still around obviously right like like sometimes people just disappear for a week or sometimes longer than that um but that being said yeah uh i'll I'll message him right now and i I know Zach it's you know uh he's a really great part of this community and i I uh you know to the extent that there's a medical problem that he's dealing with too uh you know i don't I don't know if it, there's like a GoFundMe me or something that we could set up but uh we'll let's just try to see how I guess what his status is yeah. and Go from there.
6: Well, hopefully, I'm I'm wrong. Uh, I just haven't seen him for like a week straight. Yeah. he was on here constantly. I've checked in, popped in yeah. to see if he's around, and no. So,
0: okay. Yeah, I'm worried. Yeah, like, yeah. What? Well, I, I appreciate you bringing bringing that up. You know, maybe just pulled a, sh- a schnarf. <laughs> who knows? Um.
6: Yeah. Who knows? He seemed upbeat, though. He didn't seem like yeah. you know. Pissed off or disenchanted or whatever the fuck. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'll definitely message him. Let me see. When's the last time he logged in? February. Well, is it? Is that right? Last. Okay. February 27th is the last episode that he called in for. Yeah. Okay. Jeez. I hope he's okay. Fuck. Let's hope, let hope y'all. Um, and Zach was a, a lot nicer than Schnarf Andrew, but Schnarf was a Schnarf. Ever you know he had a, he had a, he had good points. <laughs> Schnarf was a you know I, I don't mind people being persnickety and like uh, like assholes sometimes if they are also if they're saying something that's like uh, I don't know that that is. Helping me or helping us kind of analyze something, you know? And I think, uh, I think a lot of people on, on calling are good at that. But, um, <sighs> hope, 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 and, and keeping, keeping a light going. How do you keep putting one foot in front of the other? Uh, you basically, make the decision to, to just do so. Um, we talked today about a lot of the things that are going to, I, I, look, I don't need to regurgitate what I've already said about how this system is very good at isolating us, making us lonely, and making us think that capitalism is impossible to defeat. This idea that you know the end of the world is more easy to envision than the end of capitalism is something that we've all kind of dealt with. Uh, but the first step to, you know, a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step and fuck these motherfuckers, fuck these guys. What are they going to do? Make us quit? No, fuck that. We want to roll rocks up hills. God damn it. Each and every day I want to wake up. I want to put on some pants and just pants. That's all I'm wearing. I'm going barefoot, just pants. You know what? Cut off jeans. I'm wearing jorts every morning. And I'm getting up. And I'm going to that big fucking boulder that's in front of me. And I'm pushing that motherfucker up the hill hard. One of the things that Albert Camus says in The Myth of Sisyphus that I really, really do like is how... He talks about how the rock gets all the way up to the very top of that peak, never quite reaches, and then falls back down. And after the stone falls back down that hill, Camus writes that it is during that return, that pause, that Sisyphus interests me. A face that toils so close to stones is already stone itself. I see that man going back down with a heavy yet measured step towards the torment of which he will never know the end. But there is no fate that cannot be surmounted by scorn. I love it. I love it. If you want a revolution, if you want change, your first step in doing that is to accept the fact that you're going to fight for it regardless. You're fighting for change. It doesn't even matter. Like, if it, it does not matter if it's likely to succeed or not because nothing in the end matters. And in accepting that nothing matters, then the choice to make something matter matters and that's what matters if that makes sense and it does if the stakes of all of this are we all end up in the same place anyway then baby fucking roll that rock up the hill and every time it rolls back down it's that scorn baby it is that punk rock fuck you i'm rolling this fucking rock back up the hill that makes you invincible and that makes any movement against any kind of revolution futile because you're not doing it just to win. You're doing it to do it because you've chosen to do it. And that's what's, I think, you know, like I said, as someone who I've, I've struggled with suicidal ideation, I've struggled with depression and everything. Once I start just rolling that fucking rock up the hill, I've been pretty fucking happy about it. And I think there's just, I I will never, I will never, I can't emphasize to you how fucking punk rock it is to just say, fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. It's so goddamn punk rock to make the choice that you're going to fight because, just because, just because. And any sort of change has to start with that acknowledgement. So when you see defeatism online, when you feel like you've been defeated, when you feel like our efforts are futile, or you don't know if we'll succeed, or this or that's not the right candidate, or this is, uh, you know, that's not a real leftist or anything, who gives a fuck? Who fucking can't? We're fighting. That's what we're doing. The choice has been made. If it's the wrong candidate, cool. How do we utilize this opportunity to continue the fight that we're trying to do? You know what I'm saying? You gotta fuck that hill up with that rock. But remember that the most important thing is that it's a choice to do so. So when you know when we talk about a pep talk. And when we talk about revolution, step one is choosing to do that thing. Choosing to do it. Now, as I said in other episodes, we're going to talk more and more about specific steps. Specific things that you can be doing to get there. Because I think that's what we, we, we probably need more of that in the, in the lexicon. But for now, just remember that the first step is a choice. So, even if you end up feeling defeated for a day, for a week, for a year, make the choice to get up and f- keep fighting. Because if all of it ends the same way, what's the point of not fucking these motherfuckers up along the way? That's what I don't understand. I'm going to make as- I'm going to make I'm going to make as many motherfuckers, like, if capitalism's going to win, it's going to eat my dick doing it, okay? It's going to eat my entire ass doing it. And I'm going to keep rolling that rock up the hill. I hope that makes sense. Because I feel it, (laughs) okay? I feel that shit with my whole chest. Um, Maybe not the most eloquent way to say it, but I think you all get the vibes, Right? That's the vibe check. Make the choice. Roll the boulder up. Get it all the way up there. Make capitalism eat your entire dick.
2: The whole ass.